welcome to the podcast. Tonight we're going to talk about um, idea bouncing and how to do it right and um, how to be a good bounce partner. Um, and we also, uh, now I've been talking in the background about some podcasts that we've been recording offline, um, uh, or not offline, but like, you know, not in front of the chat room. Uh, and they're, the, the ones we've recorded so far have been Quantum Bang um, uh, plotting sessions. So those aren't available to the public because they're next year's Quantum Bangs. <laughs> So I have a quantum bang um, uh, plotting session. Jilly has one and Lady Holder has one. And so after our quantum bangs are published next year, those conversation podcasts will be um, uh, put together and published so that you guys will see uh, where the, um, the idea started and what we ended up with. We thought that'd be a really interesting um, series of podcasts to do. Um, <clears throat> but the other night, we were talking about idea bouncing and Jilly had an idea for a, um, a team wolf idea and wanted to bounce it. So we recorded it and I've made it a podcast and it will be um, published after this particular podcast goes up on Castbox. We'll put the um, team wolf um, conversation up too. So you can see what it sounds like when the two of us bounce without a studio audience. <laughs> <laughs> Because yeah. there is a difference with how we um, interact with each other and with um, when there's a whole bunch of people in the chat room, it changes the interaction. It changes the vibe of um, uh, plotting and all that stuff. So, um, Also, idea bouncing is a little different than a plot drift, mm -hmm. which we've done plot drifts before. Because usually with plot drifts, I'm not really coming into those with an idea. Whereas an idea bounce, you know, it's like, okay, I've got an idea. I need to work this out. And it's just a kind of a different, it's a different spin on hearing the plotting process. Well, I'm going to share the art for Jilly's conversation. Um, you can see her pretty art I made for her podcast. And that will go up after the, um, after this podcast is published. We'll put that up a, a couple of days after. Um, but anyways, um, <clears throat> One of the main issues that I encounter when I have a potential um, idea is having somebody to brainstorm with and bounce the idea around with. And honestly, you, you have to be careful about who you pick. Because some people can't take the process seriously if their life depends on it. And if, even if I'm bouncing like a, um, like a, a fan fiction idea... I expect to be treated very seriously. And I, I have writing friends in like real life who I cannot bounce um, fan fiction with because they don't take fan fiction seriously at all. Um, yeah. I've also found that idea bouncing is easier to accomplish in audio than it is in a Written. chat environment. Agreed. I mean, Discord is a great environment for let's bounce and get, I mean, you can go, you, you can, I mean, I talked to my mom on Discord. You know, she's got a Discord account. We have, when we want to talk, sometimes we'll just do a quick connect and chat for a couple minutes and then hang up. I mean, it, it uh, I mean, yes, yeah, sometimes you, you need, if you want to work on one idea, um, doing it in text works, but I find that it is so much more productive to actually speak. And you can actually read, there's actually studies about how speaking, talking about, through an idea engages different parts of your brain than the typing. So I find it much more productive to 
to speak it out, to talk it out. So let's talk about makes what makes a really good bounce partner and what doesn't. Um, you, you need someone who, one, is familiar with the fandom that you're going to bounce in. Um, and if it's going to be an original idea, you need someone who's familiar with the genre. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I would, I'm gonna add, I'd like to add a caveat to that one, though. Sometimes, depending upon what you need to work out, you may not need someone who knows the fandom. You may just need somebody who's good with consequences. Because, like, I think Kira could idea bounce ripples and consequences if you can explain your idea well enough to her, and she wouldn't know the fandom. But it depends upon what you're trying to work out. So if you're just yeah, trying, I mean, to, trying I to... know. Well, yeah, I know precious little about the Teen Wolf fandom that I haven't read in fan fiction. But Julie's idea that we bounce was a Teen Wolf idea. So I had to ask yeah. a lot of questions, but I think the more familiar they are with the um, fandom, the better it may be for you. Yeah, especially if you need somebody who understands canon. Um, like if I were to do, you know, some Team Wolf ideas, I would need somebody who has a lot more canon expertise than I do. Um, you know, and like, it just all depends on what you need. But if you're looking for somebody who can help you more with consequences, like what is the logical consequences of what I'm trying to do, you might need to have like a different bounce buddy on hand for that than someone who's a canon expert but generally somebody who at least understands your fandom and your characters really helps because you know if you're treading down the dreaded you know bad characterization path they might not know if um you're if falling they down an ugly place yeah <laughs> and then also there are certain times when I would actually like, like Julie said, sometimes you want somebody who's very good at consequences. Um, sometimes you want somebody who's um, able to think outside the box for you. Um, especially if you have a hard time thinking out of the box. Uh, sometimes you got to rearrange the paradigm. <laughs> How do yeah. you say that? You got to think outside the paradigm. I know, I know it said paradigm. Okay. I know. I'm aware, but there used to be a commercial a long time ago where the dude said paradigm. paradigm. And so every time I see the word paradigm, I, I, I hear him say, you got to step outside the paradigm or something like that. Anyway, I don't remember where fragility came from, but every time I see the word fragile, I think fragility. <laughs> I just, I can't help it. It's in something. It's in some movie or TV show where someone said fragility and I went. Fra and I'm like it's just every time I see fragile written on something, I go for chili. <laughs> Anyways, sometimes you need that person. And if you need someone to bounce a crack idea off, there's really no one better than Azure. <laughs> right. I mean, you gotta you gotta yeah, you gotta know what you need. Um that that really is important and and sometimes i mean like if you really have a hard time breaking away from canon you want to bounce you don't want to bounce with somebody who has a tendency to retell canon that's like what the hell that that's not serving your purpose if you if you want to break if you want to break away from canon so let's say you're trying to figure out a way to do canon divergence to get away from canon but your inclination is to steer back to canon don't bounce with somebody who does that too because their inclination is going to be to usually you know if that if that's their lane so um another kind of person that you don't want to involve in your writing process in any single way not just idea balancing is someone who um is extremely negative um who never has anything good to say about your writing um who tears your ideas apart 
every single time. Some ideas aren't viable. And you won't know that till you start bouncing it. But if you're encountering somebody who always, always, always tears your ideas to pieces and never helps you get there, that's not a good person to bounce with. I mean, the ideal thing would be is if they're seeing a big problem with your setup. I mean, and sometimes, I mean, I've had people come to me with ideas where I just go, I don't know how you could make that work. Um, but what is it? And then I'll ask them, I'll ask them, well, what is it you're actually trying to accomplish with this idea? And then maybe try to help them come out from a different angle because like maybe their setup doesn't, doesn't, I mean, I've, yeah, when you're like, and you also don't, if somebody's a blank, if somebody's a blank wall with you, when you're bouncing with them, don't bounce with them. And what I mean by that is I've, there've been a lot of people who've offered over the years to help work out ideas with me, or I'll say I'm having a problem and they'll offer to be a bounce buddy for that issue or whatever. And I say what the issue is and I get absolutely nothing back. They just go, uh-huh, I hear you. And it's like, okay, is this like, I feel like I'm getting proof of effective listening, you know, because they like acknowledge what I said, but they don't actually do anything. It's like, okay, when I said sounding board, I didn't literally mean act like a board. <laughs> because yeah, just... you do want somebody who will engage with you who's not like I've been told in real life settings that I um, have an intimidating personality and so I have encountered writers who were afraid to bounce ideas back at me or who were uncomfortable disagreeing with my choices and if you have somebody like that who's uncomfortable disagreeing with your choices then they aren't the right bounce buddy yeah and also if they really can't contribute because i do think that the issue sometimes the people who've offered to want to help me is i think that, that sometimes they want to get involved in my in my process or something but they actually don't know what to say and that's fine if they don't know what to say and it could be they and I, honestly in that situation it'd be better to hear i honestly don't know how to help with this so that i can just move on than to get frustrated with you know with the with the blank wall thing um you also don't want somebody who gets angry with you during this process. Either they get pissed off with you because you don't like what, what the idea that you've presented um, and they get like uh, their focus gets narrow and, and all they can say is, okay, you, you have to do this or nothing. You don't want that. You need someone who has a very fluid um mind who can go in four or five different directions at once really with you yeah. and you'll notice in the podcast that jillian and i did is that sometimes the first idea we presented on a, on a certain circumstance or topic um didn't work or we found something later on that worked better um in the whole process so that ability to adapt is really important we really did bounce all over in you gotta in be adapting plot. <laughs> and, and so the funny thing is when you hear the podcast, wh where we start, I started with the germ of an idea. Um, and that's what I was doing. It wasn't like in this particular case, it was like I've got this germ of an idea. I've got the central concept, right? I've got the central idea. I I could go, you know, like six different directions with it. And I'm, you know, and I had a lot of ideas on those six different directions, but it was like, nothing was like focused. And so I really needed a bounce buddy at that point to help focus and get feedback about certain tracks. It's like, well, is this, is this focus? Is this direction better? Is this direction better? And we kind of did, we really went all over the place. And so where we wound up really, and actually in that case, it, it 
kept the central that that central idea that main idea that I had for how to start this the story um but sometimes your central idea goes away right that and you got to be prepared for that to happen it's like well okay so that idea actually doesn't work it's hard to make this so like if your idea if your central idea is that Derek Morgan is um it, it, in his canon circumstances, is actually in the witness protection program. No, your central idea is probably going to need to change. And the thing is, if you're bouncing with somebody who tells you, if you have that idea that you want to, to be, you know, Derek to be in the central, in the in the witness protection program, and it comes out and it causes problems with the team and at work, right? Exactly, Margaret. It doesn't make any sense because you I, you cannot be a federal agent. Um, living under, living in, in witness protection doesn't make any sense. The marshals would have a fit. So um, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you really want to make that idea work, you don't want to bounce with somebody who would look at that idea and go, what? And point out the realistic ripples of that, because it just, it actually fundamentally doesn't make sense. But, you know, so if you're super attached to that idea, even though it doesn't make sense, um, I like, for instance, I wouldn't be a good bounce buddy with for you because I would just sit there and go, I don't know how you make that make sense. <laughs> um, but if you want to find a way to make your main, your central theme work, I might be a good bounce buddy for that to say, okay, well, where is it you're trying to go? And let's find a different circumstance for Derek that achieves that without something as ridiculous as him being a federal agent who's in witness protection. So, um, and that's 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 really important to understand what it is you're trying to achieve, and and being too attached to any particular angle of your idea can be counterproductive to 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 developing an idea. So, um, yeah, exactly. You just it's just it's just crazy cakes that, that, that to try to make an idea like that kind of work. And most people, you know, like people in the chat, are immediately reacting to that idea of some a federal agent being in the witness protection program, that that their cover identity is federal agent. Um, it immediately sets off. It it fails the suspension of disbelief test, right? For most people, so you failed willing suspension of disbelief, and your bounce buddy should be pointing that out to you, but. If you really want to work with that and you just don't give a fuck that it fails a suspension of disbelief test for your readers, then you need a bounce buddy who's willing to ignore that. And you need to go in prepared to say that. Like, I know this doesn't make any sense. I know it could never possibly happen. I know a bunch of readers are going to nope out the minute they see it. That doesn't make any sense. But I want to write it anyway. Help me work out this plot. I would be a hard no on being a bounce buddy for that personally. But um, I think it is it is actually really important that you be honest about your goals going into a bounce situation, because and especially if you have themes that are difficult for some people to to um to talk about or to be involved in, um, you don't want to spring those uh concepts on them in the middle of a session and freaks them out. Yeah. Or you know, if you are someone who can't handle these topics, you need to make sure that your bounce buddy knows, um how far they can go now in our in our conversation that we had plotting the team wolf story shifts this is actually going to be episodes um we did get to a little bit of uncomfortable subject matter as sort of the catalyst for you know 
the first shift. Um, but Kira and I know each other well enough and we know each other's, you know, that we were able to talk around that and, and put, figure out how to work that into the story in a way that didn't, you know, push either one of our buttons. But also, you know, when you listen to it, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, I don't want to spoil it, but I would not have suggested what I suggested if I didn't already know that she wouldn't go, go there. whole hog on it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I would never ask somebody to write, I would never suggest somebody write an explicit murder if I knew, well, I wouldn't ask anybody to write explicit murder, like torture murder, um, but I wouldn't even suggest, like, off-screen torture murder if that person has a habit of writing torture murder, because I don't want to add to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So if you have somebody that will go off the rails on you like that, you need to be careful what you suggest to them. So like you can just be later on. I didn't mean to. I don't know. I don't know where they got. I, please don't put my name on this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, don't thank it, me for this. Don't, please don't ever thank me for this. <laughs> and this, this, this thing that we talked about that was uncomfortable for both of us was it provided really exceptional. It made, it made sense for one character to do this thing. And it made sense as a great internal motivator for the other character. And for the, and it actually was a good, inter, it was a inter, good internal motivation for two, for my two main characters. So it, it's, it actually was something that was realistic. Solve a lot of but problems. It's harsh. But it's, it is harsh. It, is a, it would be a difficult thing to even write because I wouldn't actually have this. It, well, just, you know, you'll, you'll but it's a, it, we would discuss a potential sexual assault. And I would not take it that far. I would I would have it be in, I, you know, obviously you'll, you'll, re, you'll hear about it in there that it, w- it would get stopped. Um, so it wouldn't get beyond the, dis- like the, this, the threat of it phase. But just the threat of it, you know, just talking about that, you can hear us kind of tap dancing around. Cause, yeah, because we don't actually discuss the details of that because I never would. Number one, write that, or number two, talk about it in a podcast. I wouldn't want to trigger anybody. Um, it's just you can trust me that I would never do that intentionally, um, and uh, I would never go with it, it um, into explicit terms on on that kind of physical assault because of my own history. So, right, and even if I wrote a sexual assault in. Um, in a, uh, it would be something that happened in the past off screen. It would not be, you know, the event that I needed is where my story starts. And so, um, you know, it, like I said, it's, it did solve a lot to put that in. And, and it was, this was, you know, Kira's, Kira proposed it. And I, you know, I thought about it. I'm like, yeah, that really works. So, but I don't, th- I, I know she wouldn't have proposed that as the potential solution to the the situation that I was building. Um, she wouldn't have proposed it if she thought for a second that I was going to go right. An explicit. Or, or explicit rape scene. No, I've been like, no. But yeah, honestly, it, I'm going to be, I'm going to be for real with you. And this is probably a little snotty, but I would not be intimately involved in the process of a writer that I believe capable of writing explicit rape. I don't want to be near that. I just don't. Yeah, it. That's just. Just gotta know. Just like I would not associate with a writer who writes pedophilia, or Chan. I'm not gonna do it. Am I comparing writing rape to writing um, pedophilia and Chan? Yes, I am. If it's done to be titillating, I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There are people who seem to write on-screen rape as a sort of a therapeutic thing for themselves. It makes me uncomfortable. I wouldn't read it. 
I try not to. You know what? Get a therapist. Yeah, get a therapist. But I get, (laughs) I I do get, I do get that people work out their issues in fiction. But when it's obviously sexualized and it's obviously titillating, written to be titillating, I find fetishizing lack of consent to be really disgusting. So the same, I feel the same way about fetishizing slavery because it's all the same thing, right? But anyway, so. yeah, I don't want to read slave fic either. I mean, I don't want to read slave fic even if it's not fetishizing. If it's just like a dystopia kind of thing, I don't want to be involved. Yeah, yeah, no. So the level to which you get involved with someone's process depends upon, you know, I mean, Kara and I have plotted together a lot. You guys may have heard some of those. We've plotted together not on the podcast. We know each other's process. We know each other's work. So we're able to bounce ideas really well together. And also one of the things that's really key is if an idea that she suggests doesn't work for me, it, it she's, she's not going to get wrapped around the axle if I say, well, what about this instead? Um, because that's how the ideas build. If she says, well, what about this? And it triggers a different idea for me. Or I go, well, that's not quite on, that doesn't quite gel, but it does make me think of this. And I think that might work. And then she'll go, oh, and you could take that and do this. And you'll see how that kind of process emerges. And yes, it takes time to build that with people. I get that. And I know it can be really frustrating to find somebody that you can really w- idea bounce with. Um, I idea bounce actually with a lot of people, both for my ideas and for theirs. And that's why Kira and I were talking about before we did record this conversation about how difficult um, it is to, when you, when you, when it's not going well, when you're having that process and you're like either talking to a brick wall or with somebody who can't let go of their idea, you know, it's your story, but they presented their idea and they won't let go of it. Um, and so it, there's a difference between um, a, what I would consider like a brainstorming session and an idea bounce. Lady Holder and I are very good at brainstorming. You should, I really wish we had recordings of our conversations about books about book five. <laughs> I wish we had recordings of book five <laughs> because we used to get on Yahoo um, audio uh, or on the phone. And um, yeah, we, I, I probably do actually. Um, and we would, um, for some reason we were fixated on book five of Lantian legacy. Um, and it's probably not, there's not, there's not some reason it's the Sebastian book. Um, Lantian legacy book five is about Sebastian who's on earth and um, uh, seeking to reconnect with his father. And he's an older teenager and his circumstances are not good. Um, He has been raised pretender style by um, the NID. And if you don't know what's a pretender, you need to look it up. Um, So he's been basically, uh, he was kidnapped as a child. His mother was murdered and he has been um, raised to be a, one man think tank for the NID. And when he realizes what his circumstances truly are, um, he goes nuclear because he's a shepherd (laughs) (laughs) and he literally leaves a smoking crater. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't want to get too far into the details, but it's pretty harsh. Um, But we, we spent a lot of time 
um, working on his motivation and what would get him there um, and what would make him reach out to John, you know, how he, um, how he finds out who his father is um, and all those things. And so we, we actually ended up brainstorming that four or five times. Um, and, um, and went in, a, went in a couple of different directions about how to, um, but really what it boiled down to is um, this um, the central theme um, of Sebastian accepting uh, who he is and um, reaching out to his father. So, you know, but it'll be a lot of fun. But there is a difference between brainstorming and bouncing because sometimes in brainstorming, you'll go into a session with one idea and the other person will come out of the other end of it with, with a better idea. So, because you can't really control um, where your creativity takes you. Right. Now, you can go into a session saying, okay, I need to hammer out the, de the details for this. And, and when you listen to the conversation podcast that we did on the Quantum Bang, you will see that we kept, we, we worked really hard to keep focused on what the person who was doing the plotting or the bouncing needed. Versus going off into our own ideas. But there were also times when I was like, oh, well, I have, I need to write that down for myself. <laughs> you know, but the difference between um, a good bounce partner and a bad bounce partner is a good bounce partner will write their own idea down and keep focused on yours. But if they go off the rails, then they probably aren't a good partner for you. Yeah. I agree. But you were saying um, the difference between brainstorming and idea bouncing. The different, the main difference, I think, would be that a lot of times when I go um, into like idea bouncing, I already have my central theme, and I'm often have my inciting event, mm -hmm. and I need to see the rest of the plot pushed out. Yeah. I mean, brainstorming. I've now I've done brainstorming sessions with Kira. Um, I, I was stumped for a plot one November. Um, it wasn't. It didn't wind up being a plot that I used, but it was a very different process. It was okay. So we're gonna. So what fandom? And you pick a fandom, and then you go, okay. Well, let's let's work through. And it was a little bit. It was sort of like just brainstorming different ideas. Okay, we're gonna do this fandom. It needs the theme was the theme was set by the challenge. It was like, well, what character do you like best? And we just kind of just all these different ideas. And sometimes they had no relationship to each other because we were just throwing things out there. And sometimes you have a brainstorming session with a big group, and everybody's throwing things in the pot and you go oh and you latch on to one thing and you go oh yeah that's what works for me um and that's honestly how how do you say his name azog azog the defiler got taken out by a potato by a potato yes that was a crazy freaking conversation just saying um i know how to spell it i don't know how to say it <laughs> I, I always say azog but it could be azog it could be fucking annoying um no i'm not watching the movies you're not watching what movies i'm not watching the hot movies ever again they already broke my heart once <laughs> well i'll watch the first couple um yeah I just, yeah I just... but, but but part three is a no that's a no for me dog <laughs> Yeah, we're gonna go in there. It's sort of like the epilogue. It didn't. It didn't happen, Peter Jackson. It didn't happen. Um, Shut your whore mouth. But 
I mean, it's important that you know what you need in a bounce partner. It's important that your processes be compatible. Um, I don't find people who are, I mean, and it could be that if you're a really rigid thinker or you're really rigid in your process, that it could be good for you to get out of the box. But in that case, if that's you, I would work on being the person who needs help rather than the helper because it is super frustrating when you bounce against a wall. It's like, okay, this is the problem I have. This is da 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 da. And they just go, uh huh. Okay. That seems okay to me. It's like, no, I have a problem. I need help with it. Mm. <laughs> it's not okay. <laughs> I'm having, I, I'm, I'm something here isn't, isn't working out. I need to, I need to fix my plot. And they go, well, it, it seems good. I'm like, okay, wall, you're dismissed. Um, <laughs> the other side. Now I will say from the, the, the bounce buddy, the person who's helping beside, um, being a good bounce buddy does not mean feeding them a plot. Um, I've had this experience where we have a, I'll have a very long bounce session with somebody. And, you know, I've had to kind of, I've, I've learned to adapt how I help with ideas because I don't mind offering up ideas. I really don't. You know, if somebody's stuck, I go, well, you could try this, or you could try this, or you could try this. And I'm not attached to these ideas, right? But when the end result is 95% my work, something's gone, gone awry. So, um, if you literally have no idea what you're doing, you're looking more for a brainstorming session, which is a little bit different because you're trying to find the germ of an idea that you want to work on. But sitting down to do an idea balance with somebody and you don't have an idea and you just are expecting them to keep feeding you the next part, that doesn't work. You're not ready for the idea balance if, if that's where you are. Um, I think also it helps to know what the other person's process is like i know going into a bounce session with jilly that she's a plotter um i know uh her choices based on based on content that she's already produced i know that she tends to focus um that she is a central character who's pushing through the whole story um and that she's very invested in her character arc and um, her characterization is um, central to most of her work. And so knowing that about her um, is really helpful. With Lady Holder, she's not a plotter. And I think that <clears throat> a lot of times bouncing an idea with her is actually a little more taxing for me because I am a plotter. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? <laughs> <laughs> how can you not know are you gonna make that decision now no i'm gonna make it later when i'm actually doing the writing oh come on now <laughs> can't you make just one little decision but you have to be able to respect that person's process and not try to force your process on them um <clears throat> because it doesn't work that way and for for really for for lady holder i think she gets more and and uh, she, she could probably tell us better than me, but I think she probably gets more out of brain session, uh, like, like a brainstorming session, than she would a full on plot session or even an idea bounce, um, because it gives her more freedom. The brainstorming, um, because That's she's a pantser. 
when I've listened to the podcast, the plot drifts you guys have done, I could almost see like she's, and it does seem like brainstorming. But again, she she's a better would be a better answer to this. But it's almost like she's making these broad brushstrokes and just collecting these bits and pieces that she likes. And she's really, and she's very good at discarding what she doesn't like. So you could throw ten things at her, and she'll take, and she'll be able to take a piece from five things, and you're like, I didn't even know that that thing could be pieced. But <laughs> <laughs> but she um she's very she, she, and you could almost see her collecting like this 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 you know this ball of stuff that to me would be like chaos i'd be like what the fuck was she gonna do with that ball of stuff and it's like she's got all these pieces that she's just kind of they're waiting there and like when she sits down to write she puts the puzzle together and you it's, see all it's those mind-boggling. Wait, yeah. wait till you guys hear her conversation about her quantum bang. Because I think that is a huge prime example of her doing that. Of her picking up all these little pieces and putting them in a box for her to use later. Yeah. Whereas I would be like, but I, what's the point of putting something in a box I'm not going to use? But, uh, but, you know, and I'm like, how are you going to use that? She's like, I'll figure it out. I'm like, wait till you figure it wait out. you'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> but neither Jilly and I work that way. So I think Jilly and I work better in a bounce idea situation, like a bounce. But I think, you know, um, and I honestly get more out of a session with Lady Holder when I'm brainstorming than I do when I bounce. Because I think sometimes my plotting stru um, structure is very re restrictive to her. And um, so, and you, you, so you have to respect the other side of the bounce. And know what you're going to get out of it. Like, you know, if if I come to, to a point where I need somebody to look over my plot document to check for consequences um, and plot holes and stuff like that, either Lady Whore, either <laughs> Lady Whore, you've got a new nickname, Lady Whore. <laughs> we'll either Lady Holder or... We'll that or got the got put in the wrong place. We'll <laughs> or W. Jilly would actually be very good for that. But if I'm at the point where I'm still building plot points, to be honest, I need Jilly. But if I need to get my central premise hammered down, I need Lady Holder. Because sometimes, because I am a very rigid thinker when it comes to like plot and consequences and ripples, sometimes. I need someone to throw a whole bunch of ideas at and see which one they find really entertaining. And Lady Holder is very good for that. I mean, I'll do I'll do a brainstorm in a room full of people. It's like not not literally a room full, but you know, chat room. Whether it's the bitches or something, and sometimes in the sprints channel, it's just like this brainstorming session. It's very creative and it's very organic. And I take out the pieces that worked and I move on. Right. Um, the and so that's, there's a very big difference, but when I need to hammer out a plot, like I've got an idea and I need to work out which direction this is going and which is the most appealing and what the, what the, cause like in, in the, in the session, the idea bounce we did, there basically were two main directions the story could go. And, you know, if, if one thing happened, my character is going to be in this physical location which would completely set a different series of events into process. And if this other thing happened, my character would be in a different physical location, which would allow uh, yet another. And because the event progression is completely different based upon this one thing, it was really important to decide which of those two things I wanted to do. So I kind of had to noodle out 
what both of those would look like. And I quickly discarded one. I was like, no, I don't like that. I don't like that. So we quickly discarded one of those directions. Um, but sometimes that's difficult to do in your own head. And that's where an idea bounce partner is really beneficial. And it's why you need someone who really will bounce with you and will will have that interaction and help you talk out. This is the process. This is what I'm thinking. And sometimes you verbalize and go, okay, well, I think the progression would be, you know, if she does this, then she's going to be in this physical location. And then these things are going to go. I'm like, no, I don't like that. So we're going to make that happen differently. But without that process, um, it's hard for me. It's a little bit hard to to sometimes get clarity of thought around. Uh, and the, so the idea bounce can be really, especially if you're doing something that has in fan fiction that has huge ripples. And when you guys listen to this idea bounce session we did, this conversation we had, this this minor change has epic ripples into canon. And so sometimes it's really difficult. Ripples sometimes can be a little bit challenging sometimes to sort it all out in your head. And that's when, for me, talking to somebody else, getting it out of my head, really helps clarify it. I'd say the ripples are huge, wouldn't you? I think some people don't, are not good at ripples. And if you're not good at it, having somebody who is, who is, is super important. Yeah. Who understands, okay, if you do this, then this, 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 and this and this are potential consequences. Yeah. Well, now, I'm pretty I'm pretty good at ripples. I usually figure out my yeah. ripples pretty well. But Kira is better. She's still stronger at that than I am. And there were a couple of things I'm like, well, I think this would happen. And she goes, well, I don't, how would that even happen at all? And I'm like, because I was, I was just assuming this one thing would still happen. And she goes, but would that one thing still happen? And I'm like, hmm. No, actually, it probably <laughs> wouldn't. It probably wouldn't still happen. It would actually, I would actually have to force it to still happen. To happen, it would be contrived. Um, so, it you, I think you'll see that. that it, I think a, a lot of pantsers are actually um, have a very innate uh, set of skills when it comes to consequences. And Lady Holder is one of those pantsers who does that. Most of the time, she's going to catch all of her consequences. Every once in a while, there will be like, oh, well, maybe you might want to. Might want to think about that one. Think about that one. But that's what your second draft is for. Mm -hmm. I will say for pantsers, I do think the second draft is more work for a pantser than it is for a plotter. Because a pantser who is really diligent about their second draft and gets feedback about what's going on, they go back at that second draft, they have more work to do. Because they might have more ripples to work out. They might have more significant structural changes that need to be made. And also, they, the decisions that they pantsed in at the end, they need to now go and put into the beginning and foreshadow and lay the foundation for them. So a second draft for a pantser is probably a more onerous process than it is for a plotter, especially a plotter who sticks to their plot. Um, um, hi, Robbie. I'm talking to Az's cat, for those of you <laughs> who aren't familiar enough with the podcast and know who Robbie is. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think sometimes um, some people have a better grasp of, say, plot and physical consequences than they do um, characterization consequences. And there is a difference between characterization consequences and like just overall plot consequences to the actions that, that your uh, that, that your characters are taking. 
Yeah. Um, Because sometimes you'll have a character do something that in that moment seems kind of innocuous. But it's not. And it has a huge ripple. Um, Because you could turn a character that you love into a son of a bitch in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And maybe not even recognize it until your second draft. Or, you know, we talked about it before, but uh, what was that story? I always forget the name of it. Gibbs. You wrote that one about Gibbs. Um, oh, mem- memories. Memories. Um, early on in the like the initial draft of memories, Julie asked me to do a alpha read. And I had like two chapters. Of, yeah, there was there wasn't much yeah. good. I knew something was wrong. A lot of Gibbs's internal thought process, although she did not mean for it to happen, was painting him in a really, really ugly light. And I was like, do I ask her about this? Is this what she intends to do? So I asked her and she was like, no, no, it's not what I did. <laughs> like, dear God. <laughs> but that's a characterization ripple that sometimes if your focus is too narrow that you might not notice. <clears throat> yeah. But, I mean, but it stuck is- out like a sore thumb to me. Or that one story she wrote where I thought there was going to be one pairing and I was like, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? And finally, in the middle, I said, so where are these two getting together? Because this, because the sexual tension is killing me. And then she told me that wasn't even her pairing. And I was like, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> Can you go read that again? <laughs> and I did. I did. I went and reread it. And I went, well, damn. And it was there. It was just completely there. But, I mean, that was. I mean, there are moments in that particular story where those two characters are so close to fucking that their clothes are inconsequential. <laughs> I was like, what is, what? Is it ever going to happen? <laughs> yeah, please get, get, get on with it. I haven't seen Claire in a while. She's in the podcast. Girl, happy belated birthday. Hello, Claire. We talked about you the other night. We did. We, we, we did talk about you. We were talking about All In by Claire. Um, which is a Teen Wolf um, zombie apocalypse story. Um, kick ass. If you read only one zombie apocalypse story ever, you should read that one. <laughs> Even if you don't read zombies normally. Because I don't. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> Definitely read that. And and Claire, when you guys will see some of Claire's influence in the idea bounce he did. You know. Yeah. Because yeah. some, things, some things are just a headcanon now. Tree Trees. Claudia. Tree Claudia, that's where it's the way it goes. Um, so, um, <laughs> Noah's got to be adaptable. He doesn't have a choice. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm changing the name in that story. I'm going to do when I do an edit on that. I'm going to change his name. Um, so, when you're, you know, when if you're pantsing your story, when you're pantsing your story, like let's let's imagine. Let's imagine that um, you, you're 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 50k in, and all of a sudden you write, say, Styles, and he's able to with magic. He's just able to, um, you know, wave away a mountain ash line and and save a bunch of people um, in a warehouse or something. Okay, and that's fine. It's like you suddenly you've decided Styles can have the ability, and that's how we're going to get out of this this situation where there's a warehouse that's about to blow up. Styles is magic, but. In chapter two of your story, 40K back, Styles couldn't get out of some ropes in a situation. So the thing you've pantsed in, 
this event that solves your problem, your little problem with escape feels contrived because it's like, well, why didn't he get himself out of some simple handcuffs or some simple rope 40,000 words ago? And so that's why I said, you know, sometimes the pantser may have more work to do in a second draft is because you wind up with some micro little, these little inconsistencies that you need to work out. And, um, in that micro inconsistency, I'd make it a matter of characterization. Like in the first situation, it wasn't life or death. It was just him. There was nobody at risk. But in the second one, um, somebody important or but Styles is a good person. So there's there it's it's life and death. It's not just him. He has to do something really desperate, um, something he doesn't think he can do, but he must do. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it, to, that's more of a characterization thing. And you can't put say. it in. You could put that he didn't have. I mean, you, but you have to account for it. So if he's not yeah. able to escape at the beginning, why is he not learned magic yet? Does he not know he's magical? If you didn't put that element in, then when the person gets to the point where he's suddenly using magic, they're going, "But why didn't he use it before?" So, and it it could be a minor change, and that's where somebody who's an alpha reader could go, "Don't worry." Climb down off your off your panic <laughs> off your panic bar. Just get off the, get off the counters. Just get back down on the ground. It's fine. You could do this one minor thing, and it will be solved. And I've had that situation where I actually, I think I think pantsers have it a lot more than a plotters do. But I've had a situation where I thought I was. I usually this happens to me when I'm writing, though, not in the second draft, where I go, "Oh my god, I'm I'm writing," and I just realized I had a giant plot hole. And Kira go. That's not a plot hole. <laughs> I'm like, it's not. And she go, well, but don't, but this. And I go, oh yeah, okay. It's more like a plot bump. We can, yeah. we can fix it. We can smooth it out. There was actually one time when it was, it was totally an internal motivation thing, right? I was thinking about the character in a slightly skewed way, and so I said, well, this thing could never happen. Da 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 da. And Kara went, sure it could. It makes perfect sense. Um, I think <laughs> it, it makes perfect sense. Um, so I think- character A was being stopped by character C. And she wanted character B to solve yeah, that you, problem. You she remember this. figure out why he would even notice. Yeah, I do. And I was like, well, character B is a badass. Of course he would notice if some character hussy C was was spending too much time stalking his his boo. Yeah. <laughs> stalking my boo. He so- would notice. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I said it. I said it. His boo. His boo. <laughs> and the character, because oh, he would, he would never say it. Character B would be like, "Bitch, what?" <laughs> yeah. So Ian was supposed to kill Ziva, and I was like, "But why would he be in position to kill Ziva?" And it doesn't make sense that he's following Ziva. And Z- and and she said, "But aren't you having Tony tell Ian that he spotted Ziva? And Ziva's not supposed to be in the country." And I said, "Yeah. Well, but don't you think Ian's the kind of guy?" I was totally panicked. And she's like, "Don't you think Ian's the kind of guy who might get a little bit suspicious about this this spy following his man around?" And might look into it. And I said, oh, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I have a plot hole. Quit talking me out of it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, because Ian Edgerton would be all over that. You know, he'd be like, what? Bitch, no. (laughs) You got your people mixed up. But that that is actually pure characterization. Because if that conversation was happening between, say, um, Tony and... Spencer Reed. Spencer Reed isn't the type to get a sniper rifle and keep an eye on Tony 
and spot Ziva and start following her around. Right. But Ian That's is. not Spencer Reed's characterization. It is Ian's. It's also Steve McGarrett's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although I do think Ian would be more effective at it. I think Steve McGarrett would actually not pick up the sniper rifle. He would go all in, like just in there. He'd be in yeah. it. <laughs> but, you know, depending on your characterization, um, that situation evolves in very different ways. Like, this is how, you know, you have to figure out how, how Steve would handle it, how Ian would handle it, how. Um, um, Spencer or Derek or yeah, I mean because they would all be very different. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, I just had this moment of like I hadn't worked out why really why what was going on with Ian. I hadn't because Tony was my central character. This is what happens when you often you've got a main character. When you focus on one character, is you sometimes get blind to other characters' motivations. And I hadn't worked out Ian's motivations, so I got to this point, and I was like, I went, I'm like, God, I've got this giant plot hole. And Kira's like, Okay, calm down. Tell me what the plot hole is. I told her the plot hole. She says, well, let's talk this through. <laughs> why, w- <laughs> why wouldn't Ian be going alert when he hears that this person is following Tony around? And I was like, uh, shut up. Because <laughs> Ian's very, um, um, Ian Edgerton, if, if you've never watched Numbers, he is very alpha male. And while he, uh, he's also stealthy. He certainly would not try to dominate Tony against his will. He he is a very on the spot kind of guy. I mean, if there's a problem, he's fixing the problem. Mm-hmm. And if he thinks, um, as Kira says, if he thinks his boo is in danger, he's gonna. And he's also not inclined to give somebody a second chance. And so he's a lot different than than Tony in that regard, because Tony might be seeing it as her being a little bit of an asshole. Um, maybe he doesn't think she'll actually kill him. But Ian hears, okay. Disgraced Mossad spy who isn't supposed to be in the country stalking my man. Let let me get my gun. (laughs) (laughs) That's his thought process right there. Let me get my gun. (laughs) Well, I, and the way I wound up plotting is he takes a leave of, he tells Tony he's going to be out of town in a case, you know, which he is. But what he's doing is he's following Ziva and he's waiting to see what she's doing. He's and he's tracking her from a distance, um, which I actually think is completely in, in character for him. But I just hadn't, I hadn't. I it's failed. also within his mandate. I mean, if he tells us a superior, I've we've got this foreign national who's not supposed to be in the country on, and we need to keep an eye on this situation because I think she's a danger to a, a federal agent. That's within the FBI's mandate, right? Yep, it certainly is. Threats to a federal agent, any federal agent at any agency or the mandate of the FBI. So, so he would be like on the job. Yeah. But so <laughs> I, I I actually there's nothing wrong with what I had plotted, but I had failed to work out the character motivation for myself so that I understood it. So when I got there, I was like, Oh my god, I got a plot hole. And Kira's like, No, you don't. But she was very nice about the no, you don't. And then I was like, I kind of sitting there huffy going, How dare you talk me off of my panic? <laughs> Get off the counter and cut the cake. <laughs> yes. um, but usually I don't get into my second draft and have big plot hole, right? That's usually not, but I, I or even a little plot hole. It doesn't usually happen. I usually, if I, if there's little problems with the plot, I usually work about when I'm writing um, because I am a plotter. And so I tend to, but a lot of times pantsers, because you pants in stuff, that's what you do. Sometimes you pants a penguin plotters. 
sometimes you do that kind of thing. And Kira had to go back on her second draft and account for the penguin. Um, I did. And, you know, several people were like, is that penguin scene new? Yes, that that penguin scene is new. Because I needed to give, I needed to give um, Avery an anchor early on in the story. So he's not so dropped in spur of the moment sprung on the reader because he was in the in, in initial draft because i pantsed him as a pants penguin but in you know and honestly uh 10 out of 10 would do again if you have an opportunity to pants a penguin do so <laughs> i need it, I, I definitely need a plan to pants a penguin <laughs> i'm putting pantsing a penguin into my plot uh but I think pantsers do. That's an example of a plotter pantsing it in. And so what she did is she went back and she had to account for where she was going to put that in. But I think pantsers have that really good pantsers, you know, people who really work out their second draft. They go, okay, these elements that I pantsed in, I need to go in and, and lay some foundation for it, or I need to connect these threads, or I need to go back and change this element at the beginning to make it a little bit more, you know, create a little bit more continuity with what I did later on. And so their second draft, I think for many pantsers can be a little bit more work than um, that is for a plotter. But that said, I've said before that plotters and pantsers do basically the same amount of work. It's just a matter of which side of the writing process you do it in for you, for you to get a good, a good, a good story out of it, a good consistent story, you know, logically consistent story. Plotters do a lot of that work up front and pantsers do some of it at the end. So, um, one side, I you know, somebody told me once that pantsing was less work. I thought that's not true. Like if you're writing a novel for a publisher and you pants it, you have to do as much work as a plotter did. You're just doing it at the end. You have to work out your character bios and make them logically consistent with the story you've written. But you may be doing it after you pantsed in the character, and so your character's eye color may change three times, and you have to fix that. I'm gonna be an asshole for a second. I think pantsers. I think pantsing can be easy for people. Who don't intend to put out a good product. Right. Right. But people who um, do a second and third draft. Who really dig into their. Um, um, to what they've created. To. Um... <laughs> <laughs> that penguin needs to be pants. Immediately. <laughs> Someone who puts a lot of effort. Into their second and third draft. Who. Um paid attention to their consequences and, and looked at their overall plot and their characterization. That's the work. But if you're that writer who does a rough draft and then post it. Yeah. Well, as, pantsing is actually very easy for you. And as usual, and a lot less work. To you. But we're not talking to you. We're actually honestly never talking to you. You're not like, I'll talk to you like, but when it comes to craft, we're not talking to you. <laughs> Because so, we are on the same page. We aren't even reading the same book. Yeah. So when it comes to sometimes actually having a pantser, um, um, sometimes having a pantser to idea bounce with and you're a plotter, that can sometimes be beneficial to you because their process is a little bit more open. Um but sometimes you really need somebody who can help follow logical consequences and help plan and go, okay, well, this will ripple into your plot in this way. Um, and so you, it, it helps to know what you need when you're going into this. And so you can explain, this is what I need. So like I can, I can help idea bounce with somebody, even if I don't know the fandom, if what they need, if they can, 
A, logically explain what their idea is and talk about what their characters are. Because I can follow logical progression of, of events. Well, it's like, well, this would happen maybe and then that would happen. And what do you think? But I would it? say the more I know about the fandom, the more dynamic my ability to to in, you know interact with you on a bounce. Will be. Yeah, and and you've read enough Teen Wolf to at least be able to. I know the characters' I, names most of the time, unless they're like, um, they were introduced later in the se- later in the series, and I've only read like certain time period fix. <clears throat> like I had yeah. no idea who Malia was for the longest time. Well, but to be fair, we did most of the, t- the two main characters are characters that are dead for most of the series. So um, they're kind of blank slates and we, you know, I could do whatever I wanted with them. So um, always beneficial. So that, that was really helpful because with two people, I mean, I know Canon better than Kira does, but that's not saying much. <laughs> um because a bunch of a bunch of videos and a bunch of you know four or five episodes of Team Wolf that I've fast forwarded through and reading about thirty transcripts does not canon knowledge make. Um, so, but still, because we've both read a lot of Team Wolf fan fiction, um, and because you know she at least understands the the setup of how the show works, we were able to get through it. Um, although I've read some, fa- I've read, I mean. I wrote my first Teen Wolf fic without ever having seen even, well, I saw that, I saw one really hot video. Um, Right? (laughs) And that's really all it takes. Right? I saw one really hot video. I was like, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And and at that point, I wrote, I wrote, you know, fanfic. And I don't think I'd even seen really anything beyond fan vids when I wrote the second story so i did and then i wrote one that was a fix it which required a lot more of the canon divergence and i started going in and looking at some episodes and trying to gather this information and i had to get you know some helpers who understand canon who could answer questions um someone said in the chat room that they they would never write in team wolf or ncis because they don't that all they've ever known is um uh, fanfic i've confessed this before and i will confess it again i'm sure it will set somebody's hair on fire because they've never heard it before um when i wrote the awakening i had never seen a single episode of the sentinel i'd read transcripts um and i had read a whole bunch in the fandom most of them canon adjacent au um and some sentinels are known and like one crossover which would probably be Dasha's imperfections. So, yeah. Take that for what you will. And I don't honestly think anybody could look at The Awakening and said, that bitch has never watched an episode of that show. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think and- most of them were saying, this bitch isn't respecting my fanon. <laughs> yeah. Now, that's mostly what they were doing. Like, what the hell? How did she change this? Because when it comes... But- when it comes to some I'm getting the video the video share with you bitches um, yeah baby oh I love that video I know right <laughs> so Steve, it's the very first fan vid I ever bookmarked was that one um, whoever did the, the digital manipulations in that video uh, was was amazing it was incredibly skilled um. Well, thank you, I, Tangerine. <laughs> I remember what I nicknamed you. 
Which in my head is already, which is my head's already migrated to Clementine. So, <laughs> oh, Clementine, yeah. That, that Sorry, we should like change your name on the server to Clementine just to be assholes. Um, that's, <laughs> that's the power of an admin. Um, <clears throat> well, of course, you could probably change it back. I think, but yeah. uh, I couldn't have wrote episodes of uh, the Sentinel because it wouldn't have been playable on PBS or whoever played it. T- yeah, right. That? TBS. TBS, I think it was on my and, and at least on, that was the channel that was on in my area. Um, yeah, I couldn't. It would have had to been on Showtime, <laughs> the Showtime of today, not the Showtime of then. <laughs> Otherwise, it probably would have been Cinemax because Cinemax was known for that shit. Yeah, yeah, Cinemax, right. <laughs> HBO eventually, HBO, everybody eventually got the steamy nighttime, right? But Cinemax was really, they had the stuff that was a questionable at that time. Yeah, I mean, in the 80s and 90s, if, if, if you wanted to watch soft porn on cable, then, then Cinemax was really your only choice. But then Showtime had Red Shoe Diaries, and it was like... I fucking love the Red Shoe Diaries. Yeah, some of them. Some of them. Some of them are a little weird. Some yeah. Some a little weird. Yeah. Richie Diaries was um, just go get the corner movie. Right was originally a movie, and then it was a series with David Duchovny. I think David was in the movie too, right? Um, Yeah, and it was um, his girlfriend cheated on him or wife. I don't remember his his significant other cheated on him, and he solicited um, basically other people to tell them to tell him stories about their own sexual adventures as a method basically of well healing yeah <laughs> it's actually very good it's a very interesting show some of the sexual so adventures are read less letters. good are less good um it's a very interesting concept yeah and it's read yeah. you diaries um and Rodney's allergies, and yeah, I agree. I agree. There are things that that fandom pounces on and really does stuff with that the writers just throw out, like you know. But sometimes the writers put in a significant, like just a just a one line thing or a one line nickname that they never use again. Sometimes fandom will be all over, but sometimes they put in a major plot event that that they don't ever do anything with. Like there's never any repercussions to Tony having the plague, um, which makes absolutely no sense. I mean, because I would say that him having the plague probably should have realistically disqualified him from ever serving on a ship. Yes, I agree. And also in Requiem, um, the amount of time that he spent underwater and and if the feats that he he for after running, you know, he 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 shot multiple people at a at a run, and then he spent a significant amount of time underwater, and there was like no consequences, right? Somebody who had the kind of lung damage that he was supposed to have wouldn't have been able to do that. So you know, and and so it's just like they put this major thing in, and they don't deal with the consequences of what that would have been realistically. What that would have been, I mean, they they eventually it's like they remembered it when Tony blew, blew up in Judgment Day or whatever episode that was no not judgment day it wasn't judgment day it was um i can't remember the name of the episode but they, they deal with it in the sense that they use the fact that the lungs of the person who was actually burned in the car 
were not scarred. Oh, it can't be Tony because the lungs aren't scarred. It's like, oh, now you remember that he's had the plague. But right? if his if his lungs were scarred enough that they'd have it would have been a, made a significant difference in an autopsy, he shouldn't have been able to do some of the stuff he was able to do. Especially especially Requiem. Yeah, and the burning paper and boxed in. I mean they just it's like they just conveniently forget this big thing. So we're trying to get you to do a better job. Do a better job, fandom. That's your job. Your job is to do a better job. Um, no, Ellie, that when that that's when Gibbs that that injury Gibbs took was that season eleven or something twelve. Um, the extensive surgery he had, I don't think he would ever be field ready again after that injury. I don't think I just don't think it could happen. I mean, he nearly he was so critically injured that he nearly died, and no. Well, to be honest, realistically speaking, at his age, I don't think he would qualify to be in the field. No. No. They could. There are things they can do uh, under, un, under urgent circumstances and under special dispensation from the director of the agency. They can extend the mandatory field retirement age. To, I want to say 63 instead of 57 or something like that. But I'm sorry, what was the urgent situation that required to kept Gibbs in the field? Uh, that, that, that was never established in canon. Um, and I'm, he's well past And apparently it's an ongoing emergency. Yeah, blackmail. <laughs> His gut. Thanks, Claire. <laughs> yeah, it, it, for people who are, who are career, they usually actually retire well before they get to mandatory retirement age because they hit their, they get their, is it 20 or 25 for federal retirement? Anyway, whatever it is, they get to it, they retire because it is, it's 25. They get, you know, if you go in right after college, um, you're probably going to be out at 50 because it is a very difficult, demanding job to be a, a field agent. So, and especially, and Gibbs had been Marines. So I just don't think that's realistic. But, you know, when you're dealing with the canon, that's, we can't, we can't fix canon. Not, not, not actually fix it. All we can do is write fix it fix. Um I agree, Reaper. I, I think that after um, Mexico, he shouldn't have been able to qualify for, for field work. Um, at the most, uh, if, if he came back to work, it should have been a, a desk job. And it would have actually been a really good opportunity for them, for the writers of the show, to leave Tony in charge of the team and to put Gibbs into a position of sack. Yeah. I think that would have made a lot. Which would be sense. special agent in charge of all of the investigative teams because they don't actually show you a sack online. I mean, on on screen, and they surely have to have one. Yeah, they're supposed to. It doesn't actually. They well, it, it is unrealistic to have a, a director interfering interacting that much with a field team. It just it's weird. Let's just be real. It, 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 it's weird. So, you know, and this, and the funny thing is sometimes um, when you're doing an idea bounce with somebody, somebody who can get a little bit too rigid about the reality uh, that canon, canon wouldn't have worked that way. Okay. So, um, oh, thank you, Tangerine. Um, I did try to inject. Honestly Canon shouldn't have worked that way. <laughs> to right. be my response, well, you know, <laughs> I did try. I did try to inject some, a little bit of reality into 
you know, because some now sometimes things can kind of get a little bit skewed at places where things are just left unchecked. And so I kind of try to go that way in De Novo, where it's like somebody just kind of steps, takes a step back and goes, okay, this actually shouldn't be working this way. Um, we don't know why it, why it does, but this just, it's, you know, one thing led to another and here we are, and we're way off track. Um, and so we're going to course correct. And so I kind of tried to insert that element of reality, but like I was plotting a story once with, with a, with a, with a, and I turned to do an idea about somebody and I was talking about getting, you know, like a DNA test back. Um, and it was a minor plot point. The DNA test would be back. Um, in a, in a day or I think I had it like in a day I like it actually doesn't come back that fast I said yeah I know but in the show it comes back that fast and so they wanted me to like correct the scientific and procedural inaccuracies of the show and I said I can't do that that's like because canon is so dependent on their scientific and procedural inaccuracies and she was just super rigid about this well it's like if you're going to do this if you're going to be accurate about this you should be accurate about how long it takes to get a dna test or how long it takes to get you know and abby couldn't realistically work on you know just gibbs cases and i'm like okay i get it i agree with you that in reality it you know forensics doesn't work like this but in the show it does so um and since the canon hinges on those inaccuracies, I'm going to be having, you know, canon level science. That's the way it's going to be. Apparently, DNA tests can take just two to three days, depending on what's being tested. Right. But it doesn't take a day. And it no. doesn't take just a few hours. So Because often you're not like the only one they have to do. There are others in front of you. So not only is the actual process, but there is like there's a work log that you're into. Right. And, and so, I mean, there's like a, there's like a DNA testing backlog of months in some places. Yeah. And I, and I get Especially it. Especially when it comes to rape kids. Right. And there, what is that? There's that one, and I want to say it's in Georgia. There's one county in Georgia that the rape kit backlog is like three or four months. Yeah. Which is just obscene. But I, um, I, I just, I'm like, I'm, why, why would I insert that level of, of, procedural accuracy in a show where their plots hinge on their inaccuracy you know the speed at which they solve cases are you am i going to change all of canon so sometimes injecting a little bit of reality it is one thing but trying one to make the, everything realistic doesn't actually make any sense one so, of the more interesting things i see like i've seen recently is um have, have you ever watched missing yes yes i had to think about the show for a second yeah. In it missing, they spend a whole season investigating one murder, which is actually more realistic than anything we see on CSI, NCIS, because um, they have to get the DNA and they got to look for the body and then they find the body and then they got to look at the motivations and they got to find, you know, and it, was, it, it took it took a long time Um to figure this out. It's a very good show. Um, Broadchurch is another example of a uh, of a murder case spread over an entire season of, of television. And if, you, and if you've never watched Broadchurch, I highly recommend it. Season 2 will make you furious. But um, it's also realistic. Uh, but Broadchurch is, is banging. So... But when you're writing in a show like NCIS or CSI or or um, what's it called um, Criminal Minds, you know, 
to some degree, or or actually, honestly, if you're writing in like the MCU, you're talking comic book level science, right? Like I I got into it with somebody over miniaturized um, fission reactors. I'm like, really? Really? MCU has miniaturized fusion reactors. Moving on. So, you know, it's important that, you know, that you be able to let go of, if you're the bounce buddy, if you're the part the partner from he's bouncing with, it's important that you to some degree be able to let go of where you're rigid because you're rigid for some reason. And um, if it doesn't actually make sense, you know, it's like if someone's like can't, you know, compliant with the canon level, but you like it to be more accurate, you're going to let go of that. Like move on. There's just no point in arguing with somebody about, you know, miniaturized um, fission reactors when the whole premise of Iron Man is based upon something that is absolutely absurd. Right. And and don't even start getting into the medical aspects, you know, of what's going on in Tony Stark's chest, right? Because that is completely impossible. So, I mean, because, like, what's the point of arguing about the level of the science, right? So, it can get to be a sticking point when you're doing idea bounce with people who want to inject. I mean, there's, there's a injecting some reality is one thing, but injecting all reality, it, it can make the story impossible to write. And then the next thing you know, you've got no plot or you've got a completely unworkable plot or most of your plot is focused on fixing science and you've got, you know, 500 hours of research ahead of you. And uh, and like, why would I want to write that story? Well, I don't. And so the idea just gets kind of thrown out. Um, so, but it is perfectly reasonable to act within the science that's been created for a show. Like in CIS, um, Stargate, Stargate, Star Trek. Um, this is also a good opportunity to recommend once more that you go read um, the Stargate Star Trek crossover, where all the physics go by Emeril. You will not be disappointed. <laughs> but you can do a lot. You can really do a lot with, you know, building on the concepts that, that, they've done and sometimes poorly explained and you see that in harry potter and teen wolf where like they have all this magical stuff that they don't explain well and it can be really satisfying to get in there and work out the world building and do something fun with that but um but you know there's always that person who likes to inject the voice of bizarrely their voice of reality go well magic doesn't work that way well magic doesn't work at all so you know so shut your pothole I mean, literally, I had somebody say that to me over a Team Wolf story. Magic doesn't work that way. I was like, what? On what? What is this based on? What is this crazy based on? What? What? There's no, they barely explore the concept of magic in Teen Wolf. I mean, do you mean um, the magic in Harry Potter? Or do you mean the magic in Harry Dresden? Or do you mean the magic in Lord of the Rings? Or just, you know, what magic do you mean? Does yeah. it work the way you, that you, what? Right, Kaya, exactly. So, uh, you know, I, I'm i always willing to try. Like, Queenie, you know, we're always right on the cusp of shut your whore mouth. We really are. <laughs> um, but we have, you know, there, there are bouncing an idea. It can be an incredibly rewarding experience. I think when you guys hear the, the conversation that Kira will post a day or two after this one goes up, I think when you hear it, it, I think it will. I think you'll be in, 
know, I hope you'll be intrigued and excited. I was very excited about the idea, um, the way it worked out. I thought it was going to be a lot, very interesting to see how this would develop. Um, but it can be a very rewarding and satisfying experience that leads you to something amazing. Or it can completely shut you down. It can be, this is just, and, and the thing is, if if the bounce experience left you feeling negative, you don't know if you've got a bad story idea or if you just had a really bad bounce, right? And then you've, you're like, well, how do I find out? You know, you got to go get a second opinion. Uh, it's like going to a doctor for a second opinion. It's like, well, the last doctor said that I need to have my leg removed. And this next doctor says, you do? Throw your leg. <laughs> so it, it can be very difficult to go into that situation again. But I would want to encourage people that it is an incredibly rewarding part of whether it's brainstorming or idea bouncing or it, it can be an incredibly rewarding part of the process. Um, to the people who are doing the idea bouncing um, to, or being the bounce partner, the person you are idea bouncing with is probably going to be, if, if, if it goes well, they're going to be very grateful. They're going to be, it's going to be an immeasurably satisfying part of the process for them. Um, it probably will. If you know, my feeling about it is I feel enriched as a writer when I sit down with other writers and work out stuff, but you, you have to let go. Um, whatever they come up with and whichever way it goes may not match what you would have written and you can't be attached to that. And any ideas that you threw out there for them that they may take in part or in whole, that all becomes part of their story. Um, you're helping develop their idea. You're not helping develop your idea. And I think that's sometimes something people can kind of forget. Because sometimes when I idea bounce with people, I get ideas that I want to work on too. You know, So I'll write stuff down. Um, or sometimes you work out a brilliant piece of world building that you both wind up wanting to use. And if you're doing it together, it's a collaborative thing, fine. But in general, what the story that is worked on belongs to the person who's going to write it. And you can't get your knickers in a knot if you proposed, you know, um, a bit of world building. And they changed what you proposed to work better with what they wanted. And I've seen people do that, get very upset that they proposed an idea like in an idea balance or in a brainstorming and the person didn't implement it in exactly, quote unquote, the right way. If you can't let go of your ideas in that kind of situation or you're part of the creative process, if you can't let go and just let it be, let them do what they want with it, let it shape, let them shape it into their vision, you shouldn't be doing this. You're not ready. You're not ready to be a bounce partner. That's right. And, let it go. You know, honestly, you need to acknowledge that sometimes you might not ever be ready. This isn't a, this isn't a process that you um work well in and there's nothing wrong with that yeah know yourself right if you're somebody who it gets very territorial or you're very rigid about that kind of thing or you tend to feel a lot of ownership of you know idea ownership is a very strange thing in general people do tend to feel very territorial about their ideas um that's my idea that's my title that's mine my my, my. and and i've seen organically almost the same idea occur in multiple people at the same time, basically, who are not connected to each other. And sometimes when you give people the same basic prompt or the same basic creative impetus, they might go the exact same direction. And if they both are angry and territorial about that idea, it could kill both of their stories. Um, 
So if you know this about yourself, that it's hard to let go. If you know, put ideas out there and just let go and let people do what they want with it. Um, and let it, let them shape it into what they need into their story and, you know, turn, turn that piece. that's your idea into their idea. Um, you may not be somebody who's who's good to be a bounce partner and it's okay that is absolutely okay to say i'm not cut out for those maybe you try it once or twice and you go i just don't like seeing the things that i suggested being twisted around that way it's like but that the, if you're not if you're not able to let it go and let them do what they want with it then this really isn't for you that's the minion thing <laughs> <laughs> Something unfortunate just happened in the chat room. Yeah, for those of you on the podcast, I it's, it's probably my own fault. I mean, it is, is deeply unfortunate. It's deeply unfortunate. <laughs> I mean, they honestly should have put him in the Anna gear because this whole outfit is just washing him out. It is washing him out, but I gotta say, looking at those rosy cheeks, I think he could be a rouge hunter. He could be a rouge hunter, but I do honestly think he'd look better in the Anna outfit. Channing is just too pale to be Elsa. <laughs> so. Yeah, but I, th I would say idea bouncing is is finding somebody you're compatible with, and both sides have a role to play, um, and it can be very satisfying both sides. It you know I I like being the bounce partner as well as having somebody help me. Um, it's very satisfying to help somebody work out an idea, because if they're especially if they're stuck, it can be really satisfying if somebody's just really stalled out, and you spend an hour talking, and then they're off to the races. That feels really good. And it doesn't matter, you know, they may take not a single idea I propose, but if it got them going again, what difference does it make? Right. Well, I would, you know, we talk about actually what, um, what, what you should take into a bounce. So let's talk about that. Um, for me, when I need to bounce an idea, um, I like to have certain things nailed down um, before I get started. Like I want my central premise. Um, and maybe and maybe my inciting event, although I am very open to my inciting event being changed um, or being shifted or just being something just utterly different altogether. Um, so your your central premise, maybe your inciting event, if, if that's something that's important to you, like if that's where your idea was born. Um, and uh, if you have any goals, for the fic or for the for the idea, um, or if you have this picture of where your characters are going to be at the end, letting your bounce buddy know that is actually really helpful. Like for me, if you say, "Okay, I'm going to go into this. I want this to happen," and I would very much like my characters A and B to be here at the end. Okay, okay yes. Let's get these guys from here. Let's get Styles and Derek out of the pool. And 10 years later, they're married with some adopted babies. We can do this. <laughs> we yeah. got a long road. <laughs> How do we go there? Um, so we can go there. <laughs> now, if if you're coming to let's now let's say you're coming into a bounce with 
let's say you've signed up for a reverse bang and you've got a picture that you find inspiring and that's all. You're not actually going into an idea bounce, in my opinion. You're going into a brainstorming session. And so you need to be prepared that it's it's a different vibe, right? Because like if I were going into it, let's let's say Kira, I don't think she'd sign up for a reverse bang, but let's say she did and she had a picture and she was like, I got this picture. I think it's pretty, but I don't know what to do with it. We would just sit there and brainstorm. What 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 does that say? What is the feel of it? You know, what does it make you think of? Although I can't imagine that she would, this, I mean, this this is a far-fetched idea, but I've had this situation with other people who've signed up for a reverse bang and they've got an image and they're like, well, I'm not sure what to do with this. And it's like, okay, well, what do you find inspiring about it? And that's more brainstorming. Um, now that can lead to an idea bounce once they latch on to an idea. But there ha- the part about an idea bounce is there has to be an idea. There has to be something. And if there's just a, I've got a picture, a picture isn't an idea, right? It's, it's a prompt. So, um, and the same thing happens if somebody's got a prompt, like if they've got the one sentence prompt or any of the visual prompts, it's, yeah, I feel like you start feel like a therapist, right? How does it make you feel? And how do you feel about that? Um, so it's like, look at, it's like you sit down, you just work, start, you know, brainstorming. What is, where does this go for this? And um, what, what kind of story would you like to tell? And, and that's fine. Don't just that note that's different from an idea bounce because the key word is idea. And you so say you have to have one. Um, a lot of times I tend to I idea bounce. The, how do you say that? Rorschach? Ro- Ro- how, how do you say that? Rorschach? Rorschach? The blot test? Oh, Rorschach's Rorschach? I took that in college. Um, our professor had some of the cards and he was like come on up here and um so i said okay fine so he sits me down and he says what do you think when you see that i mean how does this make you feel or something like that and i said hostile and he said what i said it makes me feel hostile and um he gave me the next one and i said it just, it's making me really angry actually and so I, I went through four or five of them and I, I, they all made me feel the same way and he was like what is wrong with you i said because there's no right answer yeah and i need a right answer and there is no right answer here. You can't, there's no answer on the back of that card. I can say it looks like a butterfly and you can't tell me that's accurate. I need to know. There needs to be a fi- a definite answer for this. For this. So, <clears throat> one person's butterfly is another person's bird or moth. or And I need to know what it actually is, not what I think I see. And since you can't give me an accurate answer as to what is supposed to be there, then it makes me angry. He said, you know, that's actually a really good example of how good this test could be. <laughs> he says, I've learned a lot about you. I said, I bet you have. <laughs> well, they do make me really hostile because I can't stand it because there's no answer on the back of that card. Anyway, sorry. I went off on a little tangent. <laughs> And and that's, you know, but sometimes, sometimes there is no right answer, right? Like what, when you look at this, what does it make you think of? But if you're looking at something as visual inspiration, you got to come up with something that it makes you think of. It wouldn't be inspiring to you if it, if it wasn't stirring something up. So when you're going through and you're picking out an image from like the prompt gallery or whatever, you're going, okay, this is the one I want to work on. What is it about that inspires you? And that's where brainstorming comes in. You sit down, you brainstorm with somebody and it can help to have another person do that with you because it, it can kind of draw out your creativity there's something very it, it's not just like it doubles your creativity it's something very it really amplifies the creativity when 
one or two more people get together and really work 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 out a creative process like that i mean it's because it's like everybody's feeding on it and the more, more people contribute the more creativity is there and so it can be very it can be just a great way to go about coming up with an idea but once you've got the idea then i would go and like sit and think about it for a while and ponder it and then go into like okay i need somebody to, and figure out why you need an idea bounce it really helps to know why you need it do you just need to work out the whole plot um do you need to work out this one element do you need to figure out your trajectory do you need to figure out you know what kind of elements are you trying to sort out and you know it's so it's an, it's, an, it's all part of a process and and you may not need every part of the creative process for you you may you may get your you may not pick up a, a prompt if you don't know exactly what you're going to write and so you don't need the brainstorming part of it. Um, you may only need an idea bounce or that kind of thing when you're working on a plot problem. You know, you may always need an idea bounce, but it's just important to know what it is that you need and what kind of writer you are, and then know what you need in your partner. And like, you know, Kira said, I need somebody when I'm doing an idea bounce, more so than brainstorming even, um, I need somebody who takes this, takes it seriously. So, um, you know, yeah, there's nothing actually more irritating than having something you need to be taken very seriously and you you approach somebody for it and they don't take it seriously and they go completely off the rails. And I'm like, dude, this is not what I need. And that might sound selfish, but it's not what I need. <laughs> well, it's like, it's like, if this is, if it, if somebody if somebody can't take it seriously, I would rather I, you know if I say hey I need somebody to bounce with or bounce an idea around with and they volunteer and they don't take it seriously, um, I don't know why they volunteered. So you know I won't bounce with them again. It, it, so it's like if it's just entertaining for them, that's fine for them. It doesn't work for me. So moving, you know I just move on. Uh, if you have that experience, you know, feel free to take somebody out of your bounce cycle. And if they ask you, how come you don't bounce ideas with me? You know, you can just say, um, well, because, our processes don't mesh. Yeah. <laughs> we know, don't have I, a compatible process. I don't think we're working. Well. I mean, I did tell them, I had to tell somebody at one point, they asked why I was not, um, I hadn't bounced an idea with them in a while. I said, well, because you don't ever really bounce with me you just kind of say uh-huh 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 it's like talking to a therapist you, know, you, and you do listen. need a give and take right it has to be it has to be back and forth and they said well you know i just was trying to i thought you just needed somebody to listen to you i said if i just needed somebody to listen to me i could just talk out loud i'm perfectly fine talking to myself i do it all the time i could turn on the tv and put on you know an episode of hell's kitchen and freeze frame on gordon ramsay and talk to him you know that's about how effective our idea bounce is is like literally me talking to a frozen image on the tv and and i didn't say that i didn't say that but i did say you know you don't you, you don't you don't respond you don't engage you i just tell you the ideas she's well it all it seems like you always work them out when you, when i see the story i go yeah because i go talk to somebody else <laughs> ouch ouch right i mean i finally did but that. accurate but yeah. accurate the thing is is um when i get to the point where i need somebody to if i get to the point where i'm asking somebody for help i need help i have exhausted my own resources um and so when I reach out and say, hey, can you read this and tell me if it's shit? Because I'm thinking it's shit. 
<laughs> and sometimes I just need somebody to say, no, it's not shit. You're fine, Kara. And other times I'd be somebody say, well, you know what? There's something wrong right here. And that's what I need. Like, it happened with Unleash Your Demons um, when Tony landed in the past. That scene, something was off with that scene. And I could, and I thought it was a pacing problem. And we discussed this before. And I, I gave it to Jillian. I said, like, what is wrong with this? And she said it was my emotional content was throwing me off, not my pacing. Because I had had more emotional response from Tony interacting with Thane than I had him interacting with Jarvis. This is the first time he's heard Jarvis's voice in years. And this is how he and he wasn't responding. Um, and I was like, oh, God, yeah, of course. Because it wasn't written down in my plot document. <laughs> <laughs> but I, and so he... that hiccup made me think I had a pacing problem when I actually had a characterization problem. So sometimes you need that outside perspective. And I've, you know... I figure Kira because she's, you know, if she's asking me for help, she thinks there's a real problem. And she actually wants to, some writers actually don't want to hear when they say, do I have a problem? Will you read this? I, you know, and I actually will only work with a writer like that once or twice. If they ask me if there's a problem and I say, this is the problem I see. And they get, you know, their knickers in a knot and don't want to fix it. I won't work with them again. Cause they actually, they just want validation. They don't actually want to hear what the problem is, but I figured, you know, I'd work with Kira enough that I know if she's asked me if there's a problem, she wants my honest opinion. So like w with Courtney Hermione Granger, when she asked me about, you know, the story and I was like, well, you know, I said it, I said it very gently, but I was like, well, it's a little bit like being punched in the face. But you um, know, in all honesty, I don't actually need that gentleness from my alpha readers and beta readers. I don't need it. I've been in, I've been writing for 33 years and um, I, I actually have a very nice. thick skin. And I think a lot of people in fandom don't think that because they, um, um, because of my stance on negative feedback. Um, and I can expand on that a little bit if you would like, um, but it's not that. I don't actually care if strangers like my work or not. I mean, Right. I'm sorry. I thought I heard a voice in my backyard. But it's just my husky. <laughs> if you've never had a Siberian husky, sometimes they can make noises that sound like voices. Um, and I think he actually is listening to me talk and was talking back to me. He's trying to, is he trying to mimic you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was like, it was a little startling. Um, I care more about my own self like in my work. But when it comes to negative feedbacking um, uh, fandom, there, it's twofold. One, I don't think most readers are actually qualified to give me constructive criticism. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I don't care if you like it. Two, I do not tolerate trolls and negative, ugly behavior in my comment section because I think it sets a bad example. I would never want to set to tolerate that stuff because it implies that other writers should tolerate that stuff. And I, you know, and if you learn anything from me, if you see anything from me, I want you to see me defending my work and telling trolls to fuck off. It's my personal space and I'm not going to let anybody negative and ugly in it. Yeah. And that's what I would like you guys to take away from that policy. It's not about constructive criticism. I don't have a problem with that. Once you've been professionally edited, there's nothing anybody in fandom that could tell you that would measure that anal probe. Okay. I'm just saying. Now I have, I do have, because I have edited professionally and of course I edit in fan fiction. I do have, it's weird. It's almost like a personality shift 
when I'm editing professionally, I'm way nicer to fan fiction writers. And it's not that I'm mean to professional writers. It's just that it's just, it's different. You know, I expect them to be able to take, I do expect them to be able to take the, the, this is a problem and here's the issue as opposed to a fan fiction writer. I'll be like, well, you know, try to soften it a little bit. So it's just natural to me to just kind of shift my tone when I'm editing. Although weirdly, I, but I'm, I'm definitely harsher with, it's not harsh. I'm more blunt with like Kira and Lady Holder than I am with some other people I edit because I know they are professional writers and they have received professional edits. Um, but anyway, so when Kira asks for help, which she asks for feedback about something, I know she legitimately wants it. She's not asking me to blow sunshine up her ass. Um, and occasionally I do read something and I go, I don't see a problem with this. It does happen. You know, there's actually a difference between um, uh, not wanting abuse and tolerating abuse. And I would never want to set an example as, as someone who tolerates abuse. Um, and allowing people to engage in that kind of negative behavior on your stories is tolerance. Um, and I don't, I don't do it. I will delete that shit in a heartbeat. Some reasons why I have my own publishing environment where I have my own website so I can control that because I don't tolerate it and I don't want to set an example of tolerating it. I think that in fandom, you are encouraged to tolerate this kind of abuse and that's bullshit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, people try to find, you know, if, if one of the things I find is that in, when I was on AO3, they were more likely to leave the nasty comments in the comment section um, because there was no way to direct direct message me. But once I moved to my own website, I do get most of the, not all, um, but I do get most of, the most negative thing that's ever been said was said in a comment on my, you know, in the comment section on my WordPress site. But most of the, uh, you know, picking at me stuff is done in a lengthy, usually, um, message through my comment form Look, which one like you get one chance in your comment form to be an asshole to me and forever thereafter anytime something comes from your email address it gets immediately deleted i have a i have a rule set up for it straight in the trash straight in the circular file um not gonna do it but that is completely different than an author in their process seeking feedback because Sometimes you do need the critique. You need to hear what is wrong with this. I need to know where I screwed up because, you know, if it's not right, it's not right. And that is completely different than some somebody coming in and, you know, ar armchair quarterbacking a finished story. Or um, please don't be that writer that posts your work in progress and then your author note. Invite people to tell you where to write next or go next. What should or I do? What should my characters do? Who should be my pairing? Please don't be that writer. Well, and also if you if you're that writer who puts in their on their author note, please let me know if you see any problems. You just brought all that shit on yourself. Because it's one. I mean, I mean if, if you want your readers to like point out your typos, say that specifically. Hey, if you see a typo or a misspelling, let me know. Yeah. If you need that. But don't invite strangers into your process that way. Because you're not putting like one stranger into your process. You're putting hundreds. And no one needs that. No.
Because it could just get really frustrating, you know? It, it can really beat you down, and you just don't need that. So, but it is completely different to have people sending you unsolicited critique on a story that is finished, who are not part of your process, who sometimes don't grasp what you were trying to write. I've had that happen. We're like, I will have, and the thing is, I know that they're the one missing out because I will have gotten feedback that from people who really understand, who even comment and call out the thing that I was trying to do with the story. They get the central theme and they appreciate it, right? So I know that people are getting it. And there's this person who doesn't get it, who is giving me shit on this finished work about something that is basically a matter of their lack. Well, for starters, they didn't absorb what I wrote which whatever, that's fine. They don't have to absorb it. But if they did absorb it, they didn't like it, which is a matter of a preference, not a matter of there being a failing in my work. So they're beating me up basically because I didn't write to their specifications, which is bullshit. And that is a completely different thing than somebody I invite into my process. And I say, this is, this is, you know, this thing is still, it's still living and growing. I'm still, it's still, you know, it's still, it's still being formed. It's still in its formative stage and I need help with it. I, I want to make it into something great and getting the critique from that person is fine. You know, so, so, you know, the, that story memories, that first two chapters of memories got com almost completely thrown out because the characterization was so off, but we then talked about it. We talked about where, what I was trying to do with the story and got me off to a better start. And I think it's actually that story is one of, it's probably one of the best character studies I've written. So, um, oh, weird. I thought I lost Kira, but she's muted. Um, anyway. I forgot I was muted. I oh. was typing something really long, so I, I muted myself. Oh, but anyway, I think that, you know, it's hard. It, it is difficult when you go to somebody and you say, I need help. And the answer is that you have to back up or you have to throw out 10,000 words or something. And that is never easy, but I, I don't mind. I, it, it's better for me as a writer to do that, to learn and to grow and, and make it. I want the story to be as good as it can possibly be. I want to feel good about what I've written. So I do invite that critique from some people. And sometimes that critique means I, I back up 10,000 words and I go in a completely different direction. So I do um, want to agree that, that, that Memories is a really great character study of Gibbs, even if it does soften him compared to canon, which honestly his character needed. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things I said I would never write with, you know, with something Gibbs focused or from Gibbs' point of view, and then I did. You know, so you never know when you look at an image, and that was a reverse bang. So I looked at an image and I went, I don't, I can't tell Earlier you why. You said I'd probably never do a reverse bang. And you're right. Um, I probably never would. Um, the only way I'd probably do a reverse bang is if we did one on Quantum Bang. And I don't see that being our, that's not in our bailiwick. <laughs> No, it would it would be. I, I mean, I know you'd sign up if we did a reverse bang, but it it we've talked on before about why I don't particularly wouldn't wouldn't particularly want to write run one. Um, but yeah, it's a. They can be very inspiring. I I enjoy participating in them sometimes, but it, well, it I can enjoy be... fan art. I do. 
I have a lot of fan art. I've got some gorgeous fan art to share in my next newsletter. Um, and somebody made me a playlist on YouTube for one of my stories. And I forget which one it is. But it's saved in my newsletter um, options. It's really cool. Um, but Tiffany made me some really awesome Harry Potter um, art for What Lovers Do. And Gravity. I've seen it. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've seen it. It's beautiful. Gorgeous. Um, so I love fan art. Don't get me wrong. But I... And I like to do aesthetics and little banners and stuff, but for me, uh, Quantum Bang is writer-focused for a reason. And I think Reverse Bangs are more artist-focused than they are writers-focused, and I'm all about the writer. Yeah. Well, I think I think both the Bang and the Reverse Bang are supposed to be, um, to some degree, you know, a, a partnership between writer and artist. Um depending on most reverse bangs I've been in, the bang is more, more of a partnership than a reverse bang is. Um, but reverse bangs, you know, there's just, I've, I've been in many reverse bangs that just are handled weird. And so they lead to really bad hurt feelings and stuff. And it's all in the art claiming process. And there are certainly ways to mitigate it, you know, to mitigate that, those hurt feelings and stuff. But sometimes that way of mitigating it is like somebody's art doesn't get claimed. And that doesn't make the artist then feel good. And, you know, at least in a bang, we can guarantee that every story is going to get art. Um, that's a lot easier to do than to have an image. Because sometimes people, sometimes artists come up with things that they think might be inspiring. And the 20 odd or 40 odd or 50 odd artists who look at authors who look at it go, uh-uh. Because they, they're not there. It's not, it's not the prompt for any of those particular Right, and I did a reverse bang once where there was I it was it was a pairing I had never read. It's a pairing I had never seen in the fandom. I head tilted sharply at it, and the reverse bang prompt was very specific that it had to be that pairing. And it wasn't just a matter of write a gen fic with these two characters in it. It was like it had to be a romantic pairing between these two characters. And it was like mm. I'm like I'm like, see, I'm that's like, that's another reason why I couldn't be in a reverse bang, because I don't need somebody telling me who my pairings are. Yeah. <laughs> So with with reverse bangs that allow authors to be super allow the artists to be super specific and be very prescriptive about what the story has to be can be very it can be very difficult to work with and so in that particular case it wound up being I felt uncomfortable for the person who made that art because the way the rules were structured in that reverse bang is we couldn't go to the second round claiming until every piece of art had been claimed because there was like double the number of authors as there was art and the the claiming stalled out for like two days and the, the the admin just kept prompting people we're not moving on to the next round of claiming until someone claims this art and so finally somebody negotiated a lower word count and basically agreed to phone in a fic to just get us moving and it was just like it was so uncomfortable for me i mean my secondhand embarrassment was like kicking up into high gear and i just couldn't deal with it i was like no um that was terrible but also, I do have to admit that in reverse bangs, especially the reverse bangs that allow you know the artist to be very, I want this, I want this, I want this, um, to be very prescriptive about you have to write this pairing. I, I'm not inspired by that. If I look at a picture of, for instance, you know, fortunately with, with this example, um, the the artist wasn't prescriptive. But if the artist had been, it would have been a problem. But let's say an artist puts up a picture with John Shepard and Tony Donozo in it. Well, I'm going to write that as familial relationship, not romantic. So if I see that, and 
the and the artist says it has to be romantic pairing. Well, that that's out for me to write that prompt to write that piece prompt for that piece of art because I'm not going to write that um, as a romantic pairing. Um, so it's just when it comes to these kinds of things, I find that there can I have I have participated in reverse banks that were done very well to try to mitigate these problems. But when it is, you know, but I think that as an artist, you have to go into it prepared, especially if you're writing something that's kind of out there or a pairing that's not very common, that it might not get claimed and you have to be prepared for that. But even knowing that, it doesn't necessarily change the fact that an artist might wind up with hurt feelings. So it's just it's the emotional minefield with reverse bangs is difficult to manage. And there's probably ways to mitigate it even beyond the, some of the things I've thought of, but it's just, it's more of a challenge than I want in my life right now. But I do still participate in reverse bangs. Obviously my most recent story posted was reverse bang. But as an author, when I'm participating in a reverse bang, if I am not inspired by what I'm looking at and I, you know, and if I can't, you know, and if I can't agree to the artist's terms, I'm not going to claim it. That's just the way that goes. I'm not. I'm. I'm just going to just bow out of the challenge. I'm not going to just write something for cause, you know. No, I wouldn't either. Um, wait, did I sign up for a reverse bang? Was that was that double OQ thing? Yes, you did. Oh my god, I did. Why well, you're planning. You're planning to. I don't know. That was a spite thing. I, I, I did that out of spite. You did. And, and doing things out of spite gets you into trouble sometimes. But um, but again, this is a case of where if you're not inspired by what you see, you just don't claim a piece claim. of art, right? Um, and they, you know, and, and they, and that, that bang has a very good model for, you know, you state the, 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 the artist states what kind of working model they want. And if you can't agree to it, you don't claim the art. So they have it, they have the interesting levels of interaction between artists and all. And Kira and I are both like, I don't want to collaborate. Um, I, I'm nobody's fit bitch. Right. So that's not the way. In reverse bang, I want to look at the art and write the story I'm inspired to write. Um, I'm not interested in collaborating on the premise. And now some people really want to collaborate with the artist on the premise of the story and then write to that. I am not that author. So you know, the reverse bang, that particular reverse bang has set up a structure where the artist can talk about what kind of model they want. And if that doesn't work for the author, the author doesn't claim the story. So that's actually, I think, a really nice way of handling that is the author, you know, the artist it proclaims up front, this is the working model I like. And the author looks at that and goes, hell no, or yeah, that's all me. And if the art inspires you and the working model works, you're like, yes, great. And in that particular case, the pairings are set. So you don't have to worry about, you know, some rando thing. Like, you know, Vance Dinozo springing sprung on you. And you're oh, like, <gasps> I'm over here just stewing in my own spite right now. I mean. We love your spite, though. It was a very specific reason that I signed up for that. Um, yeah. Me too. We, we, we got spiteful at the same exact moment. So. But, but as we a rule, reverse banks just aren't attractive to me. Yeah. I can see that. And sometimes I sign up for, I've signed up for sometimes from some reverse banks to support 
a group, somebody who supports somebody who's running a challenge, you know. Um, but again, I never do it if I don't see something that I go, okay, that speaks to me. Um, if it doesn't speak to me, I don't do it. It's like, hey, there's nothing that speaks to me here. And you move on. But I think bangs are a lot easier. So anyway, um, I don't remember how we wound up going down the reverse bang path. I don't either. Talking about that. Oh, we were talking about um, feedback and stuff. It's kind of how we wound up meandering to that direction, memories. and 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 getting feedback. Um, yeah, because memories was a reverse bang. Um, but that art really spoke to me. But the story I came up with, it would have been interesting because normally I see a piece of art that's got Tony in it, and I would write it from Tony's point of view. But I really felt like when I looked at that art, I saw Gibbs looking at Tony, and that's why that story wound up being from. Gibbs' point of view, because you just never know what's going to come up for you. Um, but it's it's a very different thing to invite somebody into your process and say, "Help me with this. Help me figure out this idea." Um, versus you're done, and somebody comes at you and says, "This is crap." Um, yeah. And I will say that uh, something that just was said in the in the in the in the comments uh, in the chat room makes you think sometimes it can actually be really hard to idea bounce on a sequel because if the person you're idea bouncing with um, has an agenda about what you're going to write, it can, it can be impossible to work around. And even if they're willing to kind of back off and let it go, it can really make you tense. Um, and also sometimes with a sequel, you've got that thousand reader voices in your head that can be hard to shake off. Because if you've written a story that is, especially if there's been a, a good response to it, you may have gotten a lot of reader comment going, oh my God, I, I can't wait to see this or this or this. Or And they're enthusiastic, but sometimes they're enthusiastic about something you would never write and you're not remotely interested in. Um, Dude, can't imagine somebody thinking that All In was a good start. <laughs> Delete. <laughs> Delete. <laughs> but when you've got when you've got a story that um, that you've done that people see so much potential in sometimes that can be that thousand voices in your head that are kind of throwing you off when you're trying to idea bounce. And that is where actually an idea bounce can be really good for you because it can be really good. If you get, if you got a good bounce partner, it can be really good to sit down with that person and they can help you distill what you want to write and just kind of shake off all those other voices. Always mocha, 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 always chocolate. If the choice is chocolate or vanilla, it's always chocolate. Well, sometimes, sometimes I want a vanilla. I mean, just sometimes. But I never want peppermint. Because um, if there is one candy I hate more than anything in this world, it is a peppermint patty. I wouldn't know. To me, peppermint mocha is like drinking lava. So. <laughs> yeah, because of your allergy? Yeah, it yeah. would be like. It's like chocolate lava. The first time I had peppermint bark, I loved it. I actually thought it was really good, but it was like eating like a an entire mouth is like an entire fistful of red hots. Right. I was like, wow, that's really hot. Um, 
and that's my that's how I interpret mint is it's it's scorchingly hot and it and then everything goes numb and swells up and it's not good. Um, so I've never had the refreshing experience other people have with mint. But anyway, um, I really encourage you if you if you're working on a sequel, especially if your first story was popular and people just like really want you to write a sequel, and you've got that bazillion people who all want to see a certain thing and their enthusiasm is great it probably made you feel good at the time but it's rattling around in the back there in your head get an idea get a bounce buddy who who is not going to have an agenda about your vision and can really help you distill they can help really focus you on what story you want to tell and um, i would also say that your problem is not um one of experience um this isn't something um because it's happened to me um, and it is not about your experience or about your level of of writing, but ignoring somebody's vision for your work can be very difficult. Mm -hmm. And so managing that difficulty, I think it, it actually changes from situation to situation. Mm -hmm. Especially I had to take a step back from Lanty and Legacy because after I wrote book two, Lady Holder and Chris, who had been my beta and alpha readers for the first book no no enemy within they had a whole it's not your fault they had a whole bunch of questions about what took place between book one and book two so i moved book two to book three so i could write a different book two um based on their feedback but it wasn't part of my overall arc my, my plot arc and so i got i got twisted around the axle so to speak um trying to meet their expectations um because I found all their input very valuable. And sometimes you can find all this input very valuable and still not use it. And it's, you know, and so when I let that go and I just, I fixed book two and put Daniel Jackson where he was supposed to be. Um, <laughs> and stuck a Jonas Quinn in. <laughs> Everything was fine and it all settled. But there still is that phantom book two that kind of flicks around in the back of my head. And it can be especially hard if, if you find these suggestions interesting. Yeah. That's, and I did. Yeah. You're talking to people and they go, Oh, this or this and this. And you're going, well, that's interesting. Well, that's interesting. But, and that can start to clutter your head. It's like you become unfocused. And because there are, sometimes there's a lot of things that are interesting that are not, not on your path. And, Figuring out what your path is is sometimes you have to take a step back and sometimes you have to stop idea bouncing. That may be the solution is you need to you need to stop and step back and think about what you really want to do, um, especially if you've got too many ideas. Um, or you may need to try it with somebody else um, who can help you tease out what your vision is and what kind of story you want to tell. Uh, because if you're when you're writing a sequel and you've got too much inspiration or there's too many ideas, somebody who could just kind of take you take you down and kind of go, okay, what kind of story do you want to tell? And and let's let's figure out which of these ideas fit with the story you want to tell, as opposed to the story you could tell. Because you could tell a million stories. That's not even the point. What do you want to do? What do you what What's the tone? What do you want to achieve with this this second story or the third story or whatever? Like, what um, is the story you want to tell in this moment? And where do you want your characters to be? And focusing on that can be very helpful. 
I mean, I worked, I was working on a sequel idea with somebody once and, and what they came back to me with when we were talking is a list of, a list of things they were curious about from, from the first. So I wondered this and 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 I wondered this. And I was like, it was this long list of things they were curious about. And I do think that readers who really appreciate your work, they'll latch on to even really minor details. Like, I really wonder what's going on with this character. And did this character ever get their cake? And did this ever happen? And, and you know, what colored scales is that person with that dragon going to be? And it's like, and you're sitting there going, and you're kind of like, I, I you kind of freeze up and you go, um... Like literally none of that would have made it into my thought process about the second book. And then you start to doubt and you go, well, did I miss something? Or did I leave these loose ends hanging? Are they important? If people are, if that's the first thing that people come, come to somebody's mind is, is that, is, is that really important for me to deal with? And, and then you kind of go, and then you just are like all discombobulated and you get all up in your head. And that's when it really helps to talk it out with somebody who maybe somebody different or just to talk to your TV or something and, and try to clarify what's going on with your process. Because it can be, I actually will say that I think that finding a bounce buddy is hard. Finding a bounce buddy for a sequel is harder, way harder. So. And also you will find that some bounce buddies work better in some fandoms or genres than others. Like there are some people I would go to for Stargate, but I wouldn't necessarily go to them for Teen Wolf, you know? Um, like, for instance, you should never expect me to be a viable option for you if you want to write in Supernatural. <laughs> I mean, I can help somebody progress. I've never watched the show, and I've never read the, fa the, the fan fiction, so all I know is their names, and I only know three names. Dean, Castile, and Sam. And, and that th I think there's some dude named Gabriel. Yeah. And that one is. time Dean threw a fairy in a microwave. And that is the extent of my supernatural knowledge. And I have no intention of changing it. And be like, is, is Tinkerbell in the microwave? Because if there is, I'm all <laughs> in on talking to you about this plot. Um, <laughs> I love Tinkerbell in the microwave. But, you know, and the thing is, if somebody says, can you help me with the logical progression of this event? Even if I don't understand the canon, sometimes I can do that. I can look at it and go. Um, well, why would this character be such an asshole? Do you, do you mean for this character to come across as an asshole? This character is coming across as a big dick. So, and then, and that, you know, that might give them some level of help. But if, if they're doing like, if somebody's doing like November plotting, um, because November's canon divergence, right? For rough trade. If somebody wanted to do canon divergence for, for, uh, for supernatural, I, how I mean, it'd be difficult to help because yes, once they branch away, it is conceivably that you might not have much canon to deal with, but it doesn't mean canon is completely gone because the events of the past that I don't understand could have effects on their plot, right? Um, and there are things I wouldn't know, right? So, like if I was helping somebody plot a canon divergence story that occurred around the beginning of season four of NCIS, um, let's say Tony um, turns down the assignment, right? Now, if I didn't know NCIS, and that was the divergence point as Tony turns down this assignment, if I didn't know NCIS, I might not be able to ask the author, well, but isn't Jenny still driving this agenda about Benoit? 
isn't that still an issue? What is she doing with that? How is it affecting, you know, because that is the reality is if he's still at the agency, she's still doing something. But if I didn't know Canon at all, it would be hard to help with that. So the degree to which you can help um, really can really vary from situation to situation and what the person needs. Um, so I might be able to help with something related to supernatural, but there's a lot that I wouldn't be able to help with because well, I'd be able to help with more Akira because I've at least seen the first season of the show because I saw it when right. it was airing before there was fan fiction to ruin it. I think that despite the fact that I've only watched like half the episodes of the Sentinel that I could probably do a, um, a bounce well, or a plot session on the Sentinel. Yeah, but I think that you also um, have read most of the transcripts. Sometimes yeah. reading the transcripts, if somebody's read a lot of the transcripts, even if they, and, and they've seen a couple of episodes, I'd say they're pretty all in on canon. I knowledge. probably could not help with Starsky and Hutch because I barely remember it from when I was little. I never watched Houston Nights. Did I watch Houston Nights? I doubt it. Doesn't I don't I don't think so. Um Yeah, Joey. I've seen like an episode. <laughs> um well some of these it's not a matter of age. It's like I was around when those when those shows were on the air, but well not you know, I was very young when Hogan's Heroes was on the air, I think. I mean that may have even predated me. I mean if someone had a million dollar man plot bunny, I could go get my husband's box set and watch it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I've watched a lot of these shows I watched when I was a teenager or something, or I watched or I was aware of them, but I wasn't interested. I mean, yeah. At the, at the, when, when, when Houston Nights was on the air, it was a genre of cop show that I wasn't really all that interested in. So the buddy cop thing wasn't doing it for me at that time. So I just didn't watch them. I wish we had a really good, genuine buddy cop show, but we don't. Today, yeah, yeah. But you, you know, guys, you as the author, when you're looking for somebody to idea bounce with, know what you need, and have a good conversation. I mean, okay, so it, you got to have these negotiations up front. It's like a dom sub relationship, except without the any of that, except without any of the kink. Um, you might need a safe word. Yeah, you need an out, but you got to negotiate. You know, I can do this. This is what I need. This is what you can do. This is where we line up. Is this going to be helpful? Um, so Hogan's Heroes ran from 65 to 71, and I was born in 74. <laughs> and I was born in 73, so um, it, it predates me. Um, but I've seen, I mean, I've seen a couple of episodes of Hogan's Heroes and reruns, but, you know, still, I'm not old enough to have watched it when I was on the air. Um, I think we had a lot of potential for Lethal Weapon, but it fell apart. Um, yeah, I agree. Is it too late to reboot? I mean, is it too early to reboot that? I think we had a really huge amount of potential in Almost Human. And they fucked yeah, us. They really did. Fuck you, Fox. For both of them. Fox is responsible for both of those shows. Fuck you, Fox. Um, man... Almost human messed me up. I'm not going. I'm. Yeah, I'm. St we're never going to be over it. Almost human Firefly. We're never going to get over it. Nope. Um. To the point where I just stopped watching Fox. I, I, I'm done. 
I don't trust them with shows anymore. I used to think I would, you know, I needed a show to get past their first season and be renewed for a second season before I'd watch the show. But now I feel like they need a good three or four seasons. Right. I mean, I think that anybody who offers um, Fox a science fiction show is crazy because we got Alien Nation. Um, they canceled fucking Firefly. Um, what was that one where they send people back into the past? I can't remember what. Uh... It was sort of a seven days. No, it was the sort of dystopian thing where the Earth had been kind of. What was that? No, that wasn't seven days. No, what was that? That one got. And then they screwed the pooch on um, that that Sleepy Hollow one they were doing. Yeah, jumped the fence, and then of course you know almost human. They 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 just can't be. And Sarah Connor, Sarah Connor Chronicles. They jumped the ship on. They jumped the shark on that one too. They just cannot be trusted with sci-fi shows. What's the name of that? Um, Fox fucked it up. True Calling got fucked up. And then Dollhouse got fucked up. Of course, I would never have watched Dollhouse because it really messed with me. The body autonomy issues in Dollhouse were obscene. Jordan of Arcadia was a CBS or NBC thing, right? Or ABC. I mean, it was a network. It was a major network thing. I enjoyed John of Arcadia, despite the um, their religious overtones. That was the name of the show, Terra Nova. Terra Nova. Yeah, and it was. Um, it, people were so furious. I mean, I only saw a couple that it's they had a future overpopulated future Earth and went back to Cretaceous period, set up a new civilization. Um, they canceled it after. They canceled it after thirteen episodes, and Steven Spielberg was the executive producer. John Doe was another sci-fi show that Fox fucked. Yeah. And not only did they cancel it, but one of the producers actually ruined its ability to get picked up by anybody else because he had a press conference and revealed the the on um, the premise. He revealed the premise of the fucking show. He revealed John's secret. So nobody else would pick it up. No, he wasn't an angel. John Doe was actually had died and um he had a um um, when he died, he was exposed to the the knowledge of the universe, and he came back, and he kept the knowledge. That was the premise of John Doe. But we weren't supposed to know that for, like, several seasons. And so the producer, one of the producers revealed this in a press conference when they were canceling it, um, and basically ruined its ability to get picked up by anybody else. Which is some shady, ugly shit. I mean, you just can't trust Fox. I mean, I just, as a network, I just don't watch them. You know, it's just like, they let reality TV that's marginal go on for, you know, 20 years. And and they cancel Almost Human after one season or whatever. And they fucked up the season and then blamed the show for it. They showed it out of order. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bitter. And it's really obvious in some place that they showed it out of order. It's like, what? Um, and there's actually some, you can find on Reddit a, 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 some lists of what order to actually watch the episodes in. If you ever are feeling masochistic and want to watch the first season of, of Almost Human, people will tell you what order to actually watch them in, the order they should have been aired in. It's really annoying. And why would they? I mean, why would they give up having Carl Urban in a show on their fucking network? Uh, I, I can't even. Uh, if, yeah, any, that could be. if anyone has 
a question about the idea bouncing or brainstorming, drop it in the, the ask a question for the podcast. I don't really have anything else to say on this subject. Um, no, I mean, I think, I think, I think we pretty much explored it. Um, but I think we that did. You will uh, really enjoy the example we're going to provide later as well. Yeah. That I is thought, very exciting. Very empowering. I thought it would just be an interesting idea to, you know, to have a conversation about how to do an idea balance and how to be a good participant in an idea balance. Um, Cause it's, it's just as important for the person who's being a bounce buddy to, to set their expectations ahead of time. You know, that the person may not take your ideas. They may not like what you have to say and that's all okay. You need to just be prepared to let go of it because this is about their story. It's not about the story you want them to tell. Um, and so it's important just both sides come into it kind of open-minded and, and with good communication. And I know with new people, with something you've never done this with before, you kind of are feeling your way. Um, and, and that's okay. It, you might be tentative at first. And then when you've known each other for a while, you've done this three or four times, it gets to be really smooth and it, it's a great part of your process. And, you know, it's, it's totally worth it. It is totally worth the pain of getting there. It's worth the awkwardness and the, the you know, kind of tiptoeing around each other a little bit at first and, you know, trying out, trying that with different people until you find the person you gel with. It's completely worth it because it's so enriching. Um, to me as a writer. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was say, it, it's just, it's such a valuable part of the process that it, it's worth every bit of difficulty. So I would, I would definitely say, just keep trying. Do the work. Yeah. And that's what we wanted to have. We want to record an idea bounce um, as an example, because we've done this before. We've worked out the kinks of how we work together. Um, so don't take it as this is the way your idea bounce should go. So please don't take it like that. Uh, Cause I think it actually went really well, but we've done this before. We have a lot of practice working ideas out with each other. Yeah, it does. You know, in listening to it back when I was editing it, it's very smooth. It's smooth as fuck. And I was like, is that really how that normally goes for us? <laughs> we did have a little derailment involving the Instapot, but um, I kept it in because it was kind of funny. Um, and also the Instapot is an awesome investment. Investment, I highly recommend it. Uh, we always have a but, derailment, um, though. There has to be some sort of product placement in our podcast. Right. <laughs> Not sponsored today, today, not sponsored by the Frappuccino <laughs> or the Instapot. Um, but what I would say is that, uh, beyond coming into a bounce session with your expectations, um, you also want to watch your language, um, because you know your words matter, so you don't want to say things like, Oh, that sounds stupid. And if you have criticism, sometimes it's best to ask questions rather than go all negative Nancy on the person you're bouncing with. Like, you say, don't, instead of saying, oh, no, don't do that, it, say, well, what if you did this? And so, you know, giving people, bouncing with questions is always a, a better method than giving finite negative statements. Yeah. And that's. 
Yes. And that goes both ways. So if you propose an idea to the author that you're helping, if you're the bounce buddy and you propose an idea to them, um, or somebody, sorry, I reverse that. If, if somebody proposes an idea to you and it doesn't work for you, be nice about saying it doesn't work. You could just say, oh, this doesn't quite gel. You know, that's usually what I say. It's like, oh, it doesn't quite gel with me with where I kind of see this going. But there's something there. And I, you, I often will say something like, there's something there that works, but it doesn't quite exactly where I'm going. And, and that gives you an opportunity to kind of open it up and spread the idea out a little bit more and pick out some parts and nuances that you do like, if you do like any of them. But cooperation is the name of the game. And you can't cooperate with somebody if everything is negative coming out of your mouth. Right. So, I mean, just don't shoot each other down. Not everything that you got. The part about the bouncing is you're going to have more ideas that don't work than do work. And that's the way it's supposed to go. You're right. You're supposed to be working through and discarding the stuff that doesn't work. So everybody's got to be kind of open to, you know, this doesn't work. It doesn't work. And just be nice to each other. And when something doesn't work, talk about why it doesn't work or what could work. Or, you know, I think that would take me in this direction if I did that. I don't really want to go that direction, you know, in the future. Because sometimes the issue with something is what it would, the, the ripples it would have. It's not, it's not the thing that they propose. It's like, well, but I think that would have a really bad ripple for this other thing I want to do. And I'd like to avoid that. So, um, but this is, we wanted to provide an example of what an idea bounce could be like when you've worked out those kinks, but you do have to work out those kinks. And I, I don't, I don't think I'd ever record an idea bounce that wasn't going well and share it because it would be like, you know, um, it'd probably be bad for everybody. But like I said, we've worked this out. We've done it before. We've done it many times. So we recorded this one because it was a very specific idea that is not tied to the quantum bang. And, and it has a lot of those elements of discarding ideas and picking up ideas. And she proposes something and I alter it and build on it. And it, and it has a lot of the elements of what can be really good out of doing an idea balance with somebody and how it can build you to a really well fleshed out idea. And so we wanted to record one and share it with everybody to kind of see what that process is like. Um, and see how it can be really beneficial and see if it's something you want to try to, you know, build into your process. And you may just go, no, that is not for me. And that's cool. If you know, and you know, if you know, kind of intuitively, that's not for me. It's a visceral reaction. Nope. That's great. And you, will, and you will know immediately. I think if it's not for you, it will be like, Oh no, no, no. <laughs> and yeah. also there are some ideas I would bounce and some I wouldn't. Like there are, like when I did Courting Hermione Granger, I did most of that work by myself. Um, and it wasn't until I was in the alpha stage that I asked for help. All, all the plotting, all the bunny, you know, I mean, all of it was just me working on my own because there were themes in that that I wanted to explore for me personally. Um, and I had my direction. I knew where I was going the moment I had the idea conceived. The, the moment I conceived that courtroom scene that, that opens the, novel mm -hmm. i knew where i wanted to go with it i knew what i wanted to do i see so it was like it just kind of bloomed full force in my head so when i got to the part where i needed an alpha reader that's a different ball game yeah. that's about um story construction and so so sometimes sometimes you need that and sometimes you don't and also keep in mind your comfort level like i would never ever in a million years agree to bounce um, an idea around um, torture or rape recovery or rape 
or um, anything graphic of that nature. It's just not something that I would enjoy reading. And I don't let my, I would not taint my headspace with those really, really, really rough topics. So know that about yourself. Know what your limits are. And be very honest with your balance partners about where you want to go with something. If you want to write a dark as fuck dystopia apocalypse story, say that up front. Yeah. They, you don't get to surprise your bounce buddy or your brainstorming partner. Don't, don't be that person. Don't be that asshole. It's not funny and it's not cute. Honestly, it's not funny or cute to do it to your readers either. If warning appropriately ruins your plot, you don't have much of a plot. I have a now, little, I have a I, little box I got up on there for a minute. I totally agree with you. I, I, you that needs to be a big box because I'm going to get up there too. Um, if now sometimes I will say sometimes I've had stories that I've plotted that have gone darker than I ever intended in the plotting process. It's like wow, that went a place I didn't quite intend, but. This is okay. Um, now, one time I did go, Kira did help me take a story that was gone too dark. It was like, okay, this went way dark on me. I need to get it out. How do I recover this this thing? And and so I will say, I would think that was a very difficult idea to bounce for her because. Which one was it? It was, intu it was uh, intuitive. It was taking oh. it out of that kind of, it was borderline heading dystopian. I was like, how do I get this out of this? And she had some really good suggestions for how to turn, tur to course correct the ship to get. And so I've got the rest of the story plotted based upon that idea bounce. But, you know, at the end of it, she and I talked about it. She didn't think she'd be reading wherever the story went because it just was like upsetting for her. And I got it. It was upsetting me too. So, you know, we had that conversation but she helped me kind of course correct and then I think you know she took care of herself and said I don't think that this 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 aspects of this really pushed my buttons and I like I said I totally get it because it's pushing mine too that's why I needed to course correct um and but, also you know, knowing your I, buttons I, get pushed makes you a better beta because I don't think I could give an effective beta of that story um because the alpha read was difficult. So I know myself well enough to know that I could not give that story the attention that it would deserve in beta. And admitting that is not a weakness. Yeah. I mean, I've had to, I mean, in theory, this is a similar vein, is that I've had to, because like when you're doing a bang, as the artist, the typical model is that you read the story and then you make some art. And I've had to, on occasion, go to an author and say, this is really kind of pushing my buttons. Could you send me a synopsis of the story so that I know where this is going? Because I don't think I'm going to be able to read it. Um, and if the author gets their knickers in a knot over that, you shouldn't be working with them anyway. Because not everybody wants, it's not a judgment on them that you got your buttons pushed. Those are your buttons, you know. It's not about their story. So you're owning your buttons. You're taking care of your buttons. You're shielding them by saying, I can't read this. And that's what, whatever it is, whether it's an alpha or a beta, or you're in a bang situation or whatever, if you're getting upset, stop and just say, for some reason, this is really bugging me. Um, it's not about your story. It's just, it's me. It's, it's where I am. It's my issues. Could you send me a summary if if you're in a situation where the summary would help? If if you're in a bounce with somebody and they're proposing like a bunch of aspects or world building elements that really just make you feel uncomfortable, you could just say, I don't think I can help with this because I'm going to be, you know, 
this is pushing my buttons and I need, I think you might need a beta who's more comfortable or a, a bounce buddy who's more comfortable with this kind of world building. But that's why it helps to know ahead of time that you're going to go to world building that might make somebody uncomfortable and, and, and disclose what or it is. Or they just I, purely don't like, like if I had a Hobbit a bunny involving Bella as Bilbo, you know, always a girl Bilbo. I wouldn't go to Jilly for it because um, she's all about Bilbo Baggins. She thinks he's perfect just the way he is. And he is perfect. He's fucking Mary Poppins. Yeah, he is fucking Mary Poppins, y'all. But I actually prefer Bella. I mean, I love to read Bilbo, but as a writer, I prefer Bella because there's too much dick in The Hobbit. And that is coming from the leader of a cock-worshipping cult. Okay. There is too much dick in the Hobbit, but that's not the dick I choose to get rid of, personally. So I'm just saying. <laughs> um, but you know, well, it, if I have a unicorn in the Hobbit, it probably is Thorin. So, um, yeah. So there you go. Um, but it's just it's just important to know. But on the other hand, sometimes like I've actually plotted some Harry Potter stuff with Kira. She knows I'm not reading Harry Potter right now, but I can plot it just fine. That's not an issue. I just don't want to, but I'm, like I said, I'm saving myself for her November story. So I'm totally <laughs> jazzed. I'm totally jazzed about her November story. So even if I was in the mood to read Harry Potter, I'd be like, I've said this twice now. I'd be like, I'm saving myself. Um, <laughs> I even have said I'm saving myself for Kira, which I'm actually super excited about November as well, because I'm writing, um, um, a character that, that exists in canon, but it's basically a blank slate. So um, he's kind. Of, I've I've kind of like developed him as an OC in my head. So Ragnarok, um, as the chieftain of the Diverger, is 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 a very fascinating character that I can't wait to dig into and to dig into the Diverger culture and my head canon that they're actually dwarves from um, or Dwaro from uh, the Lord of the Rings. Um, just I'm um, I'm all in on it. I am too. That's why I'm. That's why I'm. I'm not reading anything else because I don't want to. Like at my my headspace tainted by other people's poor choices. Um, <laughs> talking to you, J.K. Rowling. Headspace can be very delicate. It is, especially when somebody's really, especially when something has really damaged your headspace. It can be. It, it's a recovery period you need, right? You know. So like, I've had times when I've seen something written so ugly about. Denozo, who's my, who's definitely my unicorn, that I had to take a break from NCIS fic because I'm like, that's just ugly. I can't, I can't read. I can't. And it's like your headspace gets all messed up. Um, and it's like every time you try to read the story, you're seeing that ugly scene or something. It's like, I, it's just you got to take a pause. You got to go read Teen Wolf or something. Um, Akira said, "Know what you know. What it is you want to achieve. Know who you're going to help with. And if you're if you're going with a stranger, you really somebody you don't know very well, like somebody you've talked to in chat one or two times, but you've never worked together. You don't know what their process is like. You know, talk, talk ahead of time. Find out if you're if you're going to be and compatible. This is, and this is mercenary, but pick maybe an idea that you're not deeply in love with as your first time out, and and save your word, baby." For, for when you trust them more. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I find it, when this process goes well, I find it very rewarding on both sides. Yeah. When it doesn't go well, it's very frustrating and it can suck the life out of you on both sides. Um, when I'm, when I'm, when somebody asks me to idea balance with them and they just have nothing and they're not putting anything into it, I'm like, this is your story. What is story do you want to tell? And, and they just are, they're like blank. I can't, there's, that's a very frustrating process and you're not ready for an idea balance if that's where you are. 
if you don't even have a germ of an idea and you don't know where you want to go and the kind of story you want to tell, you're not, you, maybe you need to brainstorm with somebody, try to get some ideas going, try to, you know, get that creative fuel moving. But to go into an idea bounce and expect the person you're bouncing with to prod you into an idea isn't, it isn't fair, honestly. Because they're yeah, not. Don't, don't come at me and ask me to plot your story for you. I'm not your plot bitch either. Yeah. But also, I am that person who will hammer down the ramifications of your choices. And if you can't handle that, then you can't handle me. <laughs> I had people comment on or, or send me feedback forms on podcasts where they've listened to me kind of like um, kind of take apart ideas that Lady Holder and um, Jilly have presented. Um, that's my strength. And that's what they come to me for. Um, and one person in particular had listened to me um, and Lady Holder, our, our plot bunny that we did together, our plot drift that we did together. And she said she would never in a million years want to drift, to, to plot drift with me or bounce with me because I tore um, Lady Holder's idea to shreds. Which isn't what happened. No, it's okay. not what happened. I would never do that to Lady Holder. But I know what she expects from me. And I'm not going to dial in. I'm not, I'm not going to dial that in for anybody, but I'm certainly not going to dial it in for my best friend. <laughs> you know? She'd be like, are you okay? Are you running a fever? Are you out of coffee? Get some fucking coffee. Because <laughs> you're not participating. <laughs> You're not participating at the level that I need. <laughs> yeah. And to be fair, there are some things I just don't tell fan fiction writers unless I know that they're able to handle it. And I have to know it because, um, which is like somebody who's been through a professional edit, because they're just not ready. They're not ready to have somebody say that scene is completely unnecessary. This is ruining your pace. Your characterization is way off. This character is superfluous. This just is like out there for no reason. It serves no purpose in your plot, but it's very distracting. You don't need, you know, you got four red herrings. You need to stop. Fan fiction writers are not ready for that. And do you really need, do you really need your character to be this much of an asshole right here? Because he's, he's not being snarky. He's not being funny. He's being a sarcastic, mean-spirited bastard. Is that your intention? This is not. Because if it's thing. not, then you might need to back it up. But that also goes back to an, a podcast we did before about the difference between being strong and abusive. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's hard for you to see that when you're writing that that line. So that that's when a good beta can say, "Hey, whoa, honey, whoa." Yeah, <laughs> but we we also we also did a podcast called something like "Your Beta Is Lying to You" or "Your Beta Doesn't Tell You the Truth" or, or something like that. Something like that. I don't remember what it was. But we did talk about that too because there is an element of um, um, your beta, your you know, your beta. If your beta is good, they're going to beta at help you beta at the level. Well, they may some people may be betaing at the to the best of their ability, but I just don't think most fan fiction writers are are ready for to have a full on professional edit. So most fan fiction writers get somewhere between. If I'm editing them, they're getting somewhere between thirty and sixty percent of what I would do in a professional edit because. Right now, there's somebody out there who you've baited for, and they're thinking, did I get the 30 or the 60? Oh, my God. 
That's probably true. <laughs> That's probably true. If I got the 30, oh my God. <laughs> well, especially if some if I'm super focused on typos because someone just has a lot of structural problems and typos and stuff, I'm not talking to them about pace and internal consistency and GMC. And it's just, you know, what, because this is how we, this is why we had that podcast about um, your betas are lying to you is because I was really tired and frustrated one night after doing a beta for somebody. And I said something along the lines of, they'd gotten better in their writing, I think is how this went. I'd have to go back and look at my, look at my actual chat with them and they asked me why I had never pointed out something before and I said because you weren't capable of handling that feedback um so it's kind of like um trying to build somebody like trying to build somebody a house when they don't have food on the table it's about the hierarchy of needs Mm -hmm. so if you're down here at the point where you're still learning um how to feed yourself you're not ready to build a house but we can get you there so, I mean, it's sort of like, what's the point, what's the point of pointing out problems for somebody to fix that they honestly are not at the point in their writing yet of being capable of fixing. And that's kind of the way I approach it. Right. And so I had made an, I was exhausted and I'd made a bad comment about something about her not being capable of fixing that in the past. And um, that's when we had the conversation about your beta lying to you or something. I don't remember exactly what that podcast title was, mm-hmm. um, but that's what that was about was, you know, you, I don't tell people everything because what's the point of telling somebody something that they're not ready to be, that they're not at the point of being able to deal with, you know, if you completely pull apart. And that's demoralizing. And if you ever had one of those beta that, that was really demoralizing and it ruined the story for you and it hurt your feelings and you cried a lot, it's because you weren't ready to get that level of feedback yet. Assuming they or, were right. Or they were just an asshole. Cause there is, right. there is that. Like that asshole who baited, who baited for Jillian told her to take all the dragons out of Emergence. Yeah. After she read it on Rough Trade with the dragons in it. Well, after she told me all about, you know, the all the things that were wrong with it, about the pacing and the characterization and all that stuff. And then she concluded with like, and the dragons don't make any sense. I mean, how does somebody do this? And it just is completely illogical and throws me right out of the story. And I was like, so you want me to take the dragons out of the dragon story? Out of my dragon shifter story. I'm like, what is the point of trying to beta this? I was just, I was so frustrated. I just was like, I put the whole thing on the back burner for like six months after this beta gave me some initial feedback. And she basically, she came back, she read the story and she said, I had a lot of work to do before she could beta it. And I was like, okay, what do I need to do? I'm listening. Bitch, please. I'm here. I mean, basically she wanted you to rework Emergence into a novel length contemporary fic for her own benefit. Which would have ruined the it, it, it would have made sense. that brought all the readers to the table to begin with. Right. Because people who come to the table to read a shifter story are not, if you take the shifter element out, <laughs> come on. How does that it's make just, any sense? It's just crazy cake. So, you know, sometimes a beta can really, the wrong beta can really tear you apart. But, you know, somebody giving you feedback that you don't, it's a you don't cheeseburger know t- with no cheese. Yeah. <laughs> I want a cheeseburger. I can't the cheese off my cheeseburger. Why did you order a cheeseburger then? Um, but 
it's just it's one of those things where um there's just not a lot of point in like if somebody's a novice writer and they're struggling with basic you know the basic narrative style and trying to struggle to, you know, stay in one point of view at a time and they're head hopping like a motherfucker, you know, you might be talking, you're kind of talking about pod, you know, I mean, typos and point of view and that kind of stuff, but talking about, you know, getting into the intricacies of pacing and, and, you know, that kind of thing, especially like a lot of times the intricacies of pacing where it's like, you put in a lot of stuff that the story doesn't need. That can be the, the, the death knell on a, on an amateur writer, a not not amateur, a novice writer finishing a story is when you start telling them all the elements of the story that it, the content edit can just totally destroy them. They're not ready for it, and that's the truth. Um, so if I if somebody tells me I'm ready for a content edit, I'm gonna be like, hmm, I need I'm gonna need some proof. And also, if you spend three hours correcting all their commas, um, that's three hours you've invested in their physical craft and I'd be done. I mean, I'd be like, you know. Yeah. Cause if you have to do a lot of like nitty gritty, like down, down in the, in the trenches, you know, correcting, especially I used to, I did, I would say I don't do it anymore. When, when somebody sends me something that's riddled with actual typos that could be caught by spell check, I kick it back. Right. And my, my rule. If, if you can't you spell check, it, don't expect me to read your shit. I, I don't beta I don't beta rough drafts and that's why I say to people, did you send me a rough draft? Um, and the first time I said that to somebody where they had sent me a rough draft, I said, Did you send me a rough draft? And they said, Yeah. I said, I don't beta rough drafts. I said, Well, what am I supposed to send the beta? I'm like, You're you're when you think it's basically done, there's a difference between now there's a difference. Some people have a beta that that, that kind of gives them feedback as they go. That's actually honestly that's more alpha. Somebody's giving you feedback about your content and helping the plot develop. That's not actually beta reading. But when you're done and you think you're done and you present somebody your rough draft, that's bullshit. I'm just saying. I kicked that right back. I'm like, I'm not reading this. Mm -mm. And honestly, unless I know them well already, that 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 puts an end to me betaing for them at all. If I, I say would I'll be more likely to send somebody a rough draft for, for alpha. To make Absolutely. sure that you know, because that's you know, I'm I'm coming into my second draft. Is there anything here that's really outrageously stupid? You'll let me know. Um, when it comes to an actual beta, my beta, my document has gone through at least three read throughs of my own. I've done a grammar check with Word, um, grammar and spell check. I've done a grammar spell check with Grammarly, and um, so yeah, I mean, that's just rude. <laughs> it really <laughs> is. Spell check your work, rude. It's like, what is this shit? Uh, so, no. <sighs> Anyways, I think that's it for the topic because we're approaching. We're we're we've crossed three hours probably, or pretty close to it. Um, and um, I hope you guys uh really enjoy the um the bounce that we're going to present after this podcast gets published it'll be probably a couple days because i have to edit this one first and then you know we'll have friday's podcast as well so um maybe sunday or monday you guys will see the um the the bounce podcast um and um if nobody has any questions uh ellie that's a nightmare oh ellie if i ran 78k through grammarly 
I would save it every five minutes. <laughs> I think you know it's it's like I said the the bounce podcast went really super fucking smooth. It did. So don't take it to be that's what yours should be immediately like. Okay, but it it it's it's. It's the, I want, we wanted to do it to help show the potential that when you've built that connection with somebody, and some of you probably already have that kind of bounce relationship with somebody, and that is great. That is wonderful. But some people don't have, have never even had this experience. And so it's like, well, why do I need this? And this might help shed some light on that. I did want to, I did want to put in a little caveat about that. I did say in the podcast, in that, in that conversation, that I've never read anything like this in the in the Team Wolf fandom. I haven't. If you have read something like, but one of the things I concede easily is that there's probably no truly original ideas under the sun. Everything's been done some way, somehow, by someone. If you happen to have read a story that's similar to that or has similar elements, please don't send it to me. I don't work like that. I don't go and read the stuff that's similar to the idea I want to tell and then tell the idea. That's just not the way I work. So. That can actually kind of like totally kill my boner for a story. If people start sending me stories that, oh, this is very similar to what you want to write. Shut up. I don't want to hear it. So there is a question. I'm going to answer it. Hers asks, where's the true meaning of art, Kira? The meaning of art. Art is supposed to make you feel angry, sad, happy, elated, depressed. Art makes you feel. So you can find art anywhere. In the written word, in the sky, in the woods, in your conversations, and in your own head. So on that note, I want you guys to have a fantastic evening. And we will join you tomorrow with something equally interesting. And uh, I hope you have a great weekend if we don't see you tomorrow. So say good night, Julie. Good night, everyone.